Sanchez Hello, welcome back to Podcast 99. I'm Ryan Lichten, and I am by myself today in the studio, so to speak, but it is a special episode because it is another Survivor Stories, except this time we're doing it a little bit different. I have three survivors that we're going to be interviewing on this episode. They were all on the same work team. They they worked in the, the vendor sector of Woodstock 99, if you will. And they were all on the same team. We have a brother-sister duo plus their friend. So we are going to get them all on the phone. And we're going to hear three different perspectives of the same experience. So this will be kind of an interesting one here today on the show. So without further ado, we're going to jump into our first part of the three-part Survivor Stories here with Brian. So we're going to go ahead and get him on the phone and enjoy the show. Okay, so I am here with Brian, uh, the the first part of our three-parter Survivor Story triple header here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing? I am staying safe and staying inside. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. Okay, so this is a big one. Uh, you know, we, we I forgot how we even came into contact with each other. I believe Parks is the one that... That, that that found you, but I'm glad that uh, that you agreed to be on the show. So so welcome to the uh, to to the the studio as as we like to call it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but let's let's talk some Woodstock. So we're gonna the, the year is 1999. You're okay. you're you're a strapping young lad at, at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of give me the uh, the background. What were you doing in 1999? When and then you know you first hear about Woodstock and you learn you're gonna work at it. Kind of set the stage for us. Okay, let me actually take you back a couple of years to 97. Um, I was uh, asked by a friend of mine to MC the Horde, H-O-R-D-E festival. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. Yeah, I'm making a nice culture dump for you to do something too. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was an MC for that and uh, for 97 and 98. Um, and on that uh, tour, I met some people who, hired, who asked me when Woodstock 99 came around, if I wanted to work, um, work it. And I said, sure, I'm not doing anything. I'm living in LA and, and didn't have anything going on at the time. So, um, they flew me out there. We got there, um, a week before Woodstock actually started. So it was, it was really kind of idyllic. I mean, other than the fact that we were put up in housing, that was, um, old air force base housing where the officers used to live. Um, but these houses had been abandoned for, I don't know how many years, a while. Um, but fortunately for us, uh, somebody got there in our group before even us, and they found a really halfway decent house that, you know, like some of the houses, there's holes in the floors. There was no plumbing. There was like all kinds of so crazy like, stuff. Like a, we, scary, we like, like a scary summer camp almost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, we were in the house there, and we're, and the, and the guys were next door in the bedroom next door, and a guy was in the shower. At one point, we heard him scream, and and he comes out, and he's his foot went through the floor in the shower into the ground below the house. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was, <clears throat> excuse me, there was that kind of crazy stuff happening. And we, um, 
we actually were in, like I said, one of the nicer houses. And some of the workers that worked there were not such great housing without plumbing or electricity, some other things. And I think, you know what, I think um, you're going to be talking to a couple of my friends that were working it and living there with me at the time, um, Colin and Peggy. And they, I think Colin has a better idea of what happened. We said there was some sort of little workers revolt because the food, we didn't eat the food at the, um, on the grounds there. We had our own, they had catering for us. And it was just the worst food ever. I mean, we wound up just like not eating that at all and going to the, I think there was a Burger King in town and something else. Um, yeah, oh, we, we've like, heard. Yeah, we've heard about the yeah. Burger King and the McDonald's because that's where everyone went to take shits after uh, after they finally got out of the festival. So yeah. that, that Burger King was yeah. getting was getting walloped on all fronts. Yeah, it was. And we walloped it the whole week before, uh, but we also had some great times in the city of Rome. Um, we went uh, to a, there was a drive-in theater, and we had a pickup truck. So I remember we all threw a bunch of cushions in the back of the pickup truck and went to the drive-in theater. I can't remember what we saw. But we did that. There was a rock and roll bowling one night in town where, you know, it was like black lights and neon and stuff happening. So we had a really good time leading up to the to the event. Um, and my job when I was there, so our, our, our department, we were in charge of the vendors between the two stages. Okay. They were called villages, East Village and West Village. And, you know, it's a mile and a half between stages. So there's a lot of vendors between these two places. And I had the lucky job. My boss, she, I, I, I don't know if I want to mention her name or not, because, anyway, my boss let me just videotape, and I just took hours and hours of video of um, leading up to it, during it, and uh, when the actual shit went down, I was a little afraid I was going to get my camera smashed, because there was so much uh, violence and stuff going on, people, in, and I was wearing a, a production shirt, and I had a camera, and I just... So I took the camera and I put it back in our back office. Um, so I didn't, I caught everything leading up to it though. And, and then afterwards too, um, after everyone was gone, we toured the grounds and I just let the camera roll. And wow. it's, it's like a, it was like a war zone. There's smoke coming off of cars that were flipped over and just garbage everywhere. And the smell, oh, it was just, it was really crazy. Um, oh but, yeah. Um, well, I, I can imagine, but I mean like, now, I mean, you were there a, a week before. Was there was the attitude in the air like, oh, this is this is going to be a little gnarly, or was it like, oh wow, what like a great festival? Everyone's going to be having a great time. Like by the looks of it, before yeah. anything, you know, before anyone even showed up, was that kind of the attitude, or or was it like just another festival, or did it really feel like it was going to be like what what was advertised, a Woodstock experience? Yeah, I think it was. It really felt like it was going to be the Woodstock experience. I mean, they had some great acts coming to play and um they seemed like they had really had their 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 stuff together um at one point even this, this there was a guy i'll one of the guys i work with his name's tim and he um is on the crew for neil young and he was he's a really big dude and he rides a harley and he's just that kind of guy and he took me over one day before the thing he goes there was a i don't know if you know there was a post office there he goes, dude, you got to buy some of these postcards, and you got to get the, Wood, the, the Woodstock postcards, and you get the Woodstock stamp, and then you got to get it canceled here, because that, that'll mean something to you. Some, I, I know I had them somewhere, but I, <laughs> I if, I, if yeah. I find them, I'll give them to you. Uh, yeah, very, um, so meaningful that you will give them to a random dude that has a Woodstock 99 <laughs> podcast. Fucking, right, yeah. <laughs> right, but it would be meaningful to you. I think you'd, you'd like having them. To probably. me, yes. Yeah, yeah, see, that's what I mean. And I also have a... Um, 
Uh, sure. I know I listen to a bunch of your shows, and I know you have a lot of the shirts of the, the crew that work it. And I haven't heard you mention um, we work in the village. So we have, like, these beige or khaki-colored shirts that say village on the back. Um, right. Ugliest thing I've ever seen. I, I, ugly. Now, um, how are those distributed? Like, when you, like... I mean, were, were those something that were sent to you before? Or did you pick them up on the grounds? Like, was there like a station to go get your uniform shirt, or kind of yeah. how, how how did that kind of nerdy, uh, not really matter to the story <laughs> stuff work? Um, we got them when we when we 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 got to the the Air Force base. Um, our office, our production office, was in the hangar where the rave and the um, and that other stage was. Yeah, the emerging artist. Yeah. Yeah, the emerging artist stage. So that's where our offices were. Wow. So, yeah, so it was kind of fun. So I got some good footage of, not a lot of it, but I got some good footage of the rave. No um, way. Oh, yeah. That's that's the most mysterious part of Woodstock 99. <laughs> I know. And you know what's another great thing? Um, Colin actually did the rave fully and properly. So ask him about that because he was gone. He did the rave the entire night. So he, <laughs> I'm, Oh, I'm going to. I'm hoping I hope he's going to bust loose with some stories. He hasn't really told me much about it so i'm gonna tune in and hear what he has to say but i know he really fully experienced it um and i have some footage like i said but another thing about the rave um you guys talk about the the truck or van or whatever that got uh went the wrong way and wound up inside the rave yes yeah i i remember that clearly but the part that um i was told the next day by people in the production office was that the guy was tweaked out of his mind and there was a machete in the back seat <laughs> I believe it. I mean, I, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> Jesus so, um, Christ! I mean, I'd be yeah. terrified though. Like, I'm at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My point. Like, this is you know, kind of before all the crazy, you know, craziness in this country. But um, it's possible that the guy could have just got off and freaked out and grabbed the machete or whatever. Who knows? But luckily, everything was fine. Um, so that's my race stuff. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, so. The night before, you guys have talked about the uh, George Clinton Parliament Funkadelic show. Yes, and yeah, yeah, the pre-show. The, 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 so that <laughs> the would that would be the, the Thursday before the Friday that it, that it all really started. Yeah, that was nuts. Uh, it was just crazy. We we were standing there waiting, and the band played for forever, waiting for George to come down from the mothership. Right, they just kept playing and playing, and finally he showed up, and everyone goes crazy. And um, he takes two steps down. He stops. He smokes a giant bowl. We're waiting. It literally took him 10 minutes to come down the steps of the mothership, stopping every step and smoking the entire <laughs> way down. And it was, it was nuts. It was a crazy show. But I didn't get to see a whole lot of the music when we were working it. Um, the one thing I do remember, there's two things I saw. Um, the first was my boss was cool enough. She's like, Hey, let's go to the official opening. So, um, I went over to the main stage, uh, East stage, right? Yeah. And, and before, um, James Brown came out, there was, um, the, uh, the local, uh, Native American tribe of the Oneidas, Oneidas. Right. Yes. I do remember. I, I didn't remember the, the tribe's name, but that was in the Rome paper that, yeah, there was like kind of like a, yeah, yeah like a ceremony deal, but you actually saw that. Yeah, I saw that, and this is what I like. I, this is when I started to go, "Uh oh, this might be going sideways." At that thing, they're doing their their um their chant and their blessing for the show and the the whole festival, 
And as they're doing it, the crowd starts doing the tomahawk chant. The, oh, no. Uh, oh, God. It was, I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's, it's, you're not supposed to be doing it nowadays even, but they do for the, the brace. But right. back then, it was like so disrespectful. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, to do it. Okay, yes, it's it's never been okay, uh, but right. to do it like at a game where that's like where it was invented to be done at the game, one right. thing to right. be like heckling an actual tribe, blessing the ground. Maybe that's why it went wrong. Maybe maybe they cursed yeah. it instead. They, you know exactly. That's where the vibes went, and there were women in the front row like flashing these guys their their uh, their breastlaces, and it was, <laughs> it was oh like, my god. Like, these are like you know maybe they're not like priests but still you know you know what i mean like wait till the music starts at least you yeah. know um, <laughs> it was nuts so that's how it started so that and then and then and then you guys covered it pretty well how james just kind of took a sweet time coming out yeah but i'm glad i'm able to say like i saw james brown live and it was i was a i was side stage for that and um, how how old were you during during 99 oh boy uh that was what 20 years ago yep <laughs> so i was probably 30 Five-ish. Okay, yeah, and I mean, five. did you have like, I mean, well, you, you said you emceed at another festival. I mean, so you were kind of like you were a, a show veteran at, at this point, you know, yeah, so you've seen yeah. some stuff, but been, been to some stuff, uh, oh, yeah. raged a little bit in, in your time. Yeah. Okay, exactly. so so I'm sure, yeah, it wasn't, you know, completely foreign to be there, but it's interesting that already, even before the music starts, you can, there's a feeling that like this is going to be a different thing and it's not going to be so 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 positive but then you had to work so i mean what what really was your your job like what what did it entail yeah um well what our department was there for was to um help out all the vendors between the stages now that's not including the food vendors right that's a whole separate thing food and beverage was not us Uh, we were in charge of all the um you know for lack of a better word the hippies that were selling stuff in between right um you know the purses and the clothes and all the things that they bumper stickers yes all that stuff the bongs and uh you know i think we even charged the uh the guys that uh, had the trailer with the uh disposable cameras that (laughs) had the uh naked women on top oh yeah um yeah yeah i think colin has a story about that too but um but so that's what our job was to take care of all of them and and you know that's what we did but my job um and everyone else had a shift. You had to sign up on the peak because we had to be there 24 hours a day, right? So, Right, everyone, yeah, you guys stayed there in the barracks. Right, we stayed in the barracks, but then we had two production trailers. One was in the East Village near the main stage, and the other was um, in the West Village by the other stage. So we had these two, you know, they're just trailers, and um, that's where we were at. We, were, we stayed at the East trailer, but my, my job, I, I was never assigned a shift. I would just fill in where I needed to be and, and do, and mostly my job was just to shoot video, which I have tons of footage of. I, I got to see it, yeah. Yeah, I need to dig it out. I need to um, digitize it and um, do something with it because, and I probably should have done that before this, so I, my memory would be so much more fresh, but um, honestly, listening to your, your podcast has made it, a lot of things pop back into my mind, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Well, good. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and the other band I saw, I was um, good friends with Alanis Morissette, so I was side stage for that. Um, oh, wow, like on the stage? Yeah, 
stage potatoes? What do you call? Them? Yeah, yeah, stage potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stage but potatoes. So, yeah. so for Atlanta, is that like I know that the other two folks I'm going to be talking to, they're both in in Canada. Is that I mean, what's the connection with with you and and Atlantis? Atlantis, I I'm, I moved to LA a while ago, and I met her before all this craziness, and that, well, we we're just good friends before it happened. So they didn't really know her at all. So it was just me up there, um, and and they really did have the security locked down on the stages, at least the, the main stage, where if your stage pass didn't say the artist that was performing, you were not getting near that stage. Um, and, and the whole back, the, the area they had behind the stages where the artists hung out, I could see why in the interviews, the artists were like, oh, it's great here. It's so, I mean, it was beautiful. They had like AstroTurf on the ground, and everyone had their own little trailer, and um, the food was great. Um, what, what kind of stuff did they have? Um, I'm trying to remember. I wasn't allowed to go eat there. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we interviewed one of the guys. He was the photographer for Spin at the time. And, I mean, he said, like, because he, he was back there, like, the whole time. So he got to indulge. But he just kind of described it as, like, Stouffer's type. Like, yep, uh, here's, like, lasagna. Here's a, But I'm sure, you know, again, the artists probably had different yeah, their different shit yeah. than even the, even the press that were allowed into their trailers <laughs> with them. Yeah. Uh, exactly, and I know they had had all these celebrity people doing the introductions, and um, I just remember, um, I don't know if I can get in trouble for this 20 years later, but uh, Rosie Perez, um, <laughs> um, helping herself to a few of those, they had little, those mini bottles of wine. Oh, um, yeah. She was no stranger to those things, let me just say. <laughs> I don't think, uh, yeah, I think it, it's fine to say that Rosie Perez uh, had some wine at Woodstock 99. I don't think, uh, <laughs> and I mean, when, yeah, she, and yeah. when she interviews to DMX, I feel like that all makes a little more sense now. Um, <laughs> but but that, yeah. that's, that's amazing that, that you saw that. But again, it's just funny to me because during all this, you had to work. And now one of the things that we've talked about and that I've read about in countless articles is that a lot of the people working like say not necessarily the vendors because those are all independent businesses trying to make money for themselves but like the kids that were hired to pick up trash or a lot of the like local kids that were hired to work yeah. at the food places that they were just quitting along with security yeah. guys and, yeah. and and the kind of the army of of employees started to thin out a little bit were you seeing that at all or did that happen at all within oh, yeah. your your little camp no it didn't that's that's what's so cool is like my my boss brought a bunch of us that she worked with before in like so we weren't local townspeople. But here's how I understand how it really started going bad. And this is where, and again, before this, the show happened, I was like, wait, is that a great idea? What they did was, I think they were supposed to make, I think they were supposed to pay the security company they had hired up front before the show, and they didn't or they couldn't or I don't know what it was. So the security company was like, okay, we're not doing it, and they pulled out. So I think it was a last-minute idea to hire the local people to be the um, peace patrol. Oh, yeah. And, oh, God. You know, yeah, so I think that's how that went down. And, and, you know, that was just a horrible idea because it, what, the, the ticket to the show was probably worth more than they were going to pay these people to be, you know, peace patrol people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, but so – Oh man, there's so much like uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep it on like a, a linear track here, but they're like I'm just all over the place with all this new yeah, information. You know what I mean? I, I'm but, all over the place too. So the, like the vendors, what was the process that they went through to get a stand? And say, say you're a vendor, uh, what's like kind of point A to point B from like having the idea that you want to get your stuff sold at Woodstock to having it set up there, and how did how, how did you fit into that? Right. 
Um, you know, that's a really great question for Peggy. When you talk to her, she was more involved in that than I was. And there were a lot of, not only just vendors, but there were a lot of um, um, charity, uh, what do you call them, 501Cs, you know. Um, uh, like nonprofits. Nonprofit, thank you. That's what I was looking for. Nonprofit organizations that were there as well. Um, but I think they had to apply and, and you know, it's like the memories right now is it before internet 99 probably right. around well i mean I, I found out like what the vendor's price was for a thing but i i was just wondering. i mean again it, it's not necessarily important to the the main beef of this story which which we're, right. which we're leading up to but then again you know you mentioned that yeah it's a lot of non-profits a lot of you know kind of hippie things things you would expect mm-hmm. at, at woodstock but then again like bongs and things what were some of like the crazier weirder items and then of course if you're selling bongs on festival grounds i'm guessing people are using them so now there's <laughs> now there's people actually right. hitting like glassware in giant crowds and things. I mean, w- w- was there anything that wasn't allowed to be sold or that like had to get shut down or, or kind of, and then how did you choose what went where, you know? Yeah. Um, I wasn't in charge of any of that, deciding where stuff went or who went where. Um, um, I'm guessing people paid more to be on the ends where people were walking by between the stages as opposed to in the middle or closer to our trailer. I'm not sure how that worked, but, um, I know the one thing that kind of blew my mind, even as a 30-something-year-old, was um, there was just a booth set up that was um, just um, spray-painting women's boobs. Like, just, like, take your shirt off and let it, like, put uh, um, a lion on your chest. Uh, there's actually footage of that. Yeah, I've actually seen yeah. footage, oh, footage of that. Yeah. Stand. yeah, like an airbrush stand and, like... Yeah. yeah, and I think they had like a kind of like a wheel of fortune, kind of like a, a spin wheel, and it's like, oh, <laughs> you, you get this done on you for the yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, but yeah, that was. one that one would stand out, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one definitely. I spent a lot of time hanging around that one. Um, but um, I think you know all just the standard stuff. You know, I'm, I'm nothing too nutty. Right. Well, and when you talked about nonprofits, uh, the main one was uh, that that was well, is main or as as far as like centric to the story of Woodstock '99 was the Pax stand, uh, P A X. I don't know yeah. if you remember them, but they were the ones that handed out the candles on the last day <laughs> for the Red Hot Chili Pepper, and, 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 and they were supposedly doing. I mean, they were a very active one. Do you remember actually seeing their stand at all? Oh yeah, I do, and I also remember the candlelight vigil um thinking like this is crazy why are you handing fire to these people who are clearly you could tell they were agitated by that day and and well i guess we'll get to the the last day at some point but yeah the paxton i don't i don't have a whole lot to remember about that but i do remember there's a whole giant tent set up for um the tibetan monks and um these beautiful people were just making a sand mandala um I don't know if you've ever seen one, but this, oh yeah, this no, they're incredible, yeah. And it was gigantic; it was probably twenty feet across. You know what I mean? They spent the entire um, three days of the festival doing it in really minute detail in this, this colored sand. Um, and then at the end, when it was done, there was a, everyone checked it out. And then they take a stick and they just rub cross the stick through it because of impermanence. Um, you know, the Buddhist belief. And, right. And yeah, yeah and we have seen work. footage of that too. We we even talked to a oh, dad okay. who uh, brought his kids and then was kind of like, "Okay, we're gonna meet here at nine. And then he just like went there and like crashed out. 
Like it was <laughs> yeah. like the most mellow tent yeah. to be in. So, but yeah, I mean, it was I, it was great. So and and was that considered like a, a vendor's tent or is that separate? Because I know that there was like the movie tent too. You know what I mean? Like there was like the movie right. thing. Uh, was that considered vendor stuff or is it was that separate from from what you guys were doing? Yeah, that was. I believe it was separate. Um, like I said, I wish I had more deeper information for you as to how things actually work. I kind of was like hired to come and, and shoot video of a lot of it, as opposed really? to really. And then that was the yeah. main that was the main thing. Oh, well, that's that's yeah. great. Um, and, and and again, we're in the production trailer. If anyone has a problem, they can come to us. We have radios. We have you know we can figure out what's going on. We can find out where the shipment is. You know, because a lot of these people had drop shipments. A lot of them had um, stuff in those trailers that went up in flames too. Um, uh, right. You know. Yeah. Um, there was guys. I remember there were guys that were on the horde tour with us that uh, were op- operating a, a, a CD stand. All the music for all the festival and tons of other music. They had this giant c- CD store basically. And uh, the day after it all happened. Um, <laughs> again, it's been 20 years. I think the statute is out on this. They just abandoned the place, which is good for them. Why wouldn't it? They took off, and through the next day, I'm, I'm just going around with, um, I think for sure Peggy and I think Colin too. It was like six in the morning, and and we're like, oh my god, the CD store is still over there. Let's go over. We just went through and took out tons of CDs. Oh yeah, I'm this. sure. Because at that point, oh. it's just debris. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it it is looting. You did loot. But <laughs> but but it's not uh it, it's not with the malice that that you saw on the you know the news yeah. the, the night before. Yeah. So like as day one's happening, you know you're getting into the groove. You said you saw James Brown. I'm assuming after that you probably had to you know get some work done or at least yeah. go back to your station. As yeah. that's going, I mean. W- is the attitude on the first day, like from the crowd and stuff, I mean, did you have a lot of interaction with just the audience or just from being, you know, having to go place to place? Like what, what was the kind of the vibe like uh, on that first day? Yeah. Um, I didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of interaction because our job was to, to deal with the vendors and their problems. And we were a little bit, you know, speaking for myself, I was a little more insular with management and, and what was, I was trying to capture backstage stuff and what happens in a production office and stuff that the general public wouldn't see. So I was trying to get that kind of stuff. Like I actually, I think I had footage of, um, we had a golf cart, uh, for our, uh, it was a really cool little green golf cart and it's long pole and then and this flashing yellow light at the top. So it looked super official and we, we drove that thing all around the place. But I remember, I think I got, I think I got video. I'm sure somebody else does too, but I got video of the mural, the entire wall. I just drove around while it was still doing it the day before and like got as much of it or all of it as I could. Oh, that's really um, cool. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, it was the was, world's uh it was the world's largest mural at the time that it was fully constructed. Wow. Yeah, I can believe it. It was it was crazy. But um so yeah, to, to say you know, the interactions with the people I didn't really have much and and I'm ashamed to say I wish I had. But you know what? I, I kinda got um I kind of got, you know, that um, I was a little older than your average concert goer at that time, right? I wasn't really. Um, right, yeah, yeah. Some... We're talking, you know, I, I think like the majority of folks, it's like, you know, 23 to, to 30 maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a little older than that, and I'd been around, and I don't know, maybe I was just jaded from, you know, when I was on the Horde tour, we, you know, we went from city to city to city, so we were on the road, you know. So, um I was a little bit more, eh, you know, these people, they're going to do their thing. But they did seem like they had that real kind of um, 
frat boy energy going on. You know what I mean? It seemed like the, the guys were outnumbering the, the women. I might be wrong about that, but. No, nope, yeah, like. I mean, that that's, that's from all accounts, that, that's pretty accurate. Um, yeah. So as, as, as it's going on, I mean, you know, you, you talked about the, the rave happening at, at, at night and, and all mm-hmm. that. I mean, what, what, when did you get off? I know you were on the grounds 24 seven, but was there a time where it's like, okay, like you're, you're good to go. Or was it more of like a militaristic, like, nope, like time to sleep, got to get up and, and hit it tomorrow. Or like, was there any like shift end? I mean, kind of ha- ha- what was your schedule like day to day up yeah. until things went crazy? Yeah, I had, um, I had a pretty normal schedule. I know, um, when the, sh- when the festival happened, the others had to break down 24 hour shifts, right? So you had the, the 8 AM to 6 PM or, you know, and then that sort of thing. But I did not, I was not locked into a shift like that. Um, so I'd wake up in the morning, go in and, and do my thing. I do remember um, in the last day, that Sunday, that I went home early, like in, at noonish, and then I took a nap, and then I came back at like five or six. And that's the footage I have. That it's just like, oh, you can see it. It's it's palpable. It's in the air. The tension and the crate. Even the drum circle was getting super aggressive. You know. <laughs> oh, you were yeah. So yeah, drum stock. So you saw drum stock. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Saw it. Heard it. Hated it, you know. It's like it just didn't stop. It was nonstop, and and it's. Like, and was that? Like, I mean, was it know. nonstop twenty four seven, or did they like? I mean, they must have kicked everyone, kick everyone off the the thing, or or did it continue no. into the campgrounds? Or I mean, like when all the music was done, were you able just to hear that? Or yes, you were. I don't think they kicked anybody off anywhere. That's my recollection of it, because the wave is over in one hangar by us. And the campgrounds were on the opposite side of the air bay, airfield, so they'd have to, you couldn't really close anything off. So I think, you know, people were out there banging on the, on these buckets or garbage cans or whatever they could Jesus. find um, the entire time. So yeah. were the vendors, so I'm guessing then the vendors just stayed open as, as long as they could or, or slept in shifts or whatever, because if people are walking yeah. around, it's not like they're going to pack up their stores at the end of every night or did yeah. they? Yeah, no, no, um, well, maybe some of them did, but uh, most of them would stay open late until it got clear that no one was really buying. So then they, would, I think they would sleep out there. And um, I remember, again, I, whenever you want to get into the last day, I can tell you about it. But there was a vendor, um, a young couple who had a, a daughter who was three years old. And um, I don't know if, I, I might probably just tell this story real quick about them. Um, so when all the madness happened, which we'll get back to, but um, they came to us, the production trailer, and said, um, can you help us get out of here? Like, there's a full-on riot happening around them. I was like, yeah, follow me. I got the, you know, the official shirt on. I have, I have an all-access badge, which is different from the Peace Patrol, which is, um, in any case, I had an all-access badge. So I go towards the perimeter, and surrounding the entire perimeter are um, New York State troopers. And I'm like, well, this is no problem. I walk up to one, I'm like, Hey, I'm just, uh, I need to get this little girl out of this madness right now. And the, and the cop says to me, like, uh, no, nobody gets past here. I'm like, I don't need to get past, <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to get past here. Um, even the father, can you just let the mother and her child get back? Cause that's where the exit was. The quickest way to get out was the exit. And this guy was blocking it. And he said, I said, and he's smacking his baton in his hand and walking towards me. He said, I said, nobody gets through. And like, I was like, Okay, dude, that's like one of the few times I thought he might just crack my skull because I'm trying to help this little girl leave this riot. You know, it's just mean? chaos. 
it was chaos, and he had his orders. Nobody gets through. I, I'm like, I have an, an all. I he didn't give a rat's ass about anything, you know, other than no one gets by him. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. It's like it's like maybe you bend the rules to let a three year old kid out of here with you know stuff flying through the air and and, and fires and, yeah. and I mean and yeah fires and you and yeah. yeah riot guards here Jesus uh yeah. what the fuck yeah. well yeah that that's that's okay. Do you remember what they were selling at all? What, what, what their stand was? I, you know, I think they had clothing. I think they were selling clothing. Oh, um, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a lot. Of, there was a lot of that. A lot of clothing and um, uh, you know. So as it starts going on now, I mean, like, so, you know, so now it's second day is happening and the trash is starting to pile up. And I mean, mm-hmm. were you guys noticing kind of the 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 decay of the grounds as as things <laughs> the went on down of society? Yeah, right. You know um, what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys were using different bathrooms and, and such than, than the, yeah. the public. But I mean, were you seeing yeah. that stuff? Were you seeing the trash pile up? Was it becoming apparent that uh, things were were going to south like I, like were, were you able to see the timeline of the the rot oh yeah for sure we saw that and you know again what not our department and our stuff was away because we're in the middle right between the two bases and people were walking on the tarmacs between us you know what i mean so that's where the, the, the traffic and the garbage was so where we were in our little villages was pretty well maintained and you know i'm not even sure what the vendors use for bathrooms but they were probably allowed to use the one in our production office again, an air conditioned production office, which is probably where you found me most of the time. <laughs> yeah, very cushy. Yeah, very cushy. Um, but uh, we did see start to see the breakdown. We did see people, um, the prices for water going up, and and the the bathrooms and there's you know where the water fountains were, where people would fill those were destroyed and. And people started getting really angry. There was huge lines for the APM just to get money out to buy water. I'm like, so at some point, I think we had it in our in our contract that we got like ten cases of water a day or something. So we had tons of water. And at some <laughs> point, we did. We had tons. And so at some point, my buddy Tim was like, "Hey, hop on the uh, golf cart. Let's go get some water." So we went to our crib. We got like twenty cases of water, and we just started throwing bottles of water to whoever wanted one. Um, but, you know, it was like a drop in the bucket to what was needed. Um, right. But, I mean, you know, you still did your, your Johnny Appleseed best there. Yeah, kinda, yeah. You know, the Robin Hood, if you will. <laughs> we tried. We tried. I mean, we could just see the writing on the wall there. It's just literally, you know, greed. We smelled out. Yeah, right. In, in, <laughs> in, in the cups, in the fence. And I think it said Woodstock and the S was a dollar sign. It was just. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. And I mean, yeah, yeah. So that's like by day two, you're, you're you're seeing all that. So I mean, did you catch any other bands on the second day, or or was that more of a um, was that more of a fuck I'm this? Like, I'm yeah, standing. no, I think Atlantis. I think Atlantis was the oh, second. Besides, day. Yeah, besides Atlantis. Yeah, that's right, that's right. That's right. So I got to see Atlantis, and that was that was interesting because, like I said, I was right on the on the stage, right next to her. And there's a couple only a couple things notable from that for me was one, someone threw a water bottle and it clocked the drummer pretty good. Oof. Um, right in the head, like he didn't even see it, expecting the bam, and, and they, of course, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "I'm gonna fight them." I'm like, gonna <laughs> "Jump off the stage and go fight them." But um, so that and the other one that really cracked me up was um, I remember I don't think did Kid Rock play the second day. Do you know? Yes. Okay, he did because I remember there was a backdrop to the stage, and all of a sudden I look and a little person is cl- is climbing under the backdrop literally on the stage where the, the drummer is, I'm like, what? 
oh, that's the dude from um, Austin Powers, and it was Vern Troyer. And like you just kind of walk into their 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 stage setup, Fuck. and finally a security guy, I, no, one of the road crews, like, dude, you can't be here, got him out of there. But that's just the only few things I remember. From. Pick him up. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, no, because Vern Troyer, he uh, he was one of the MCs, so he announced uh, Limp Bizkit uh, yeah. uh, on stage. And also, you know, Kid Rock, he had a little – well, it wasn't necessarily a little person, but he had a, yeah. a defect that made him a very small person uh, mm-hmm. in his band. So that was probably a – that was like a, a two-for moment uh, as, as yeah. on the Woodstock 99 uh, little person's <laughs> yeah. front. Uh, beautiful yeah. moment. But uh, yeah. that, that's hilarious that you saw him, like, hobble – like. <laughs> Sneaking yeah. in, like kind of. He was, he was just, he was, oh, like you know, yeah, I'm just popping, begging to see what's going on, and like, yeah, I'm sure he didn't realize what was happening. Like he was literally on stage and could be seen. But um, <laughs> yeah, I gotta tell you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're fascinated by this. What, what, what can you tell me anything about that? How you became fascinated by this? Uh, I mean, it has a lot to, I mean, you could like really pick apart my brain and probably figure it out. Parks too, I'm sure. And, 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 you know, the, the host that we originally had on the show, um, it's all, it's all for, for different reasons, but also for the same. I mean, you know, when we were, when we were kids, when, when this was happening, we were like nine, 10 years old. And so these were the biggest bands on the planet and, you know, yeah. whatever MTV said you liked, you liked. And so we loved it. And so the, the fact that they were all going to play and then MTV is telling you that this is the biggest concert of all time and, and it's this huge deal. <laughs> yeah. And and of course, Y2K yeah. is going to happen. And, yeah. and who knows if there's even going to be a world to come back to and and, <laughs> yeah. and all this stuff. And, you know, you're a little kid and all this stuff's kind of whirling past you on the TV. And you're just like, OK, yes, I guess that is the biggest thing ever. So you're glued to yeah. it. And then also, you know, on every other channel, it's a big deal. So, like Fox right. News, for instance, I, 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 they had the cast of that '70s show on the grounds there as their reporters, and that show was like the coolest uh. show on TV. So I was like, well, fuck! Like every cool person ever thinks that this is cool, and so I, yeah. I, I watched as much as I could. You know, like my parents weren't in the same room. Like turn on, you know, MTV to watch fucking like, Woodstock '99, maybe catch like a, yeah. a blurred boob or something, and. Uh, and then it's all started going wrong. And I remember being yeah. like, holy shit. Like, th- like even as a kid, you're like, whoa, that's not right. And then all the things come out after. And you start seeing words that when you're a little kid, like, I mean, they're still scary words, but they hit yeah. different. Like murder, when you see murder in bold print or you see, you know, fire <laughs> or rape or like with these like really heavy words, it like really impacts you, you know? And I was like, whoa. Like, yeah. And, and yeah. then what kind of brought it back was in high school – uh, and a little bit of junior high after school, when I'd get home, VH1 would always be playing like reruns of their countdown shows. And they mm-hmm. have one called the hundred most shocking moments in rock and roll. And I think number seven out of a hundred is Woodstock 99. <laughs> and I just remember like, like, Holy fucking shit. And I would, wa- I-, I could watch that over and over and I would, because it was on after school every day. Yeah. And so that like, you know, and then you just start, you know, you start reading about it a little bit more then you realize the sets are on YouTube and by, you know, by the time Parks and, and Josh and I, you know, got together and, and came up with the idea, like we had a pretty substantial bank of knowledge about this anyways. And we just realized yeah. that the rest of us were just as big of nerds about it. And then, you know, <laughs> once you start peeling back the, the layers and also, you know, we've we've been to concerts like I've been to, you know, Coachella a couple of times and uh-huh. other festivals and, and they have, too. And we all were in bands and just the whole thing makes it so surreal because that's not our experience and it'll never be like that again. And yeah. it's just this thing that stands out. And a lot of the music from 99 is kind of just fallen out of favor. And it's like this, 
this funny thing to look back on. It's just such a moment in time. So that that's really where it comes from with, with us. But now it's gone from that to like an in cold blood t- style obsession <laughs> where it's like we're like in the courtroom of the killer now you know it's we're we're way too deep to turn back so i mean today i have uh three people i'm interviewing about the vendor village uh so yeah. that's <laughs> right right exactly like oh, but man. this is good that's... stuff because i mean you're you're seeing all this and you're seeing it from uh you know a, a a worker's perspective and, and a, almost like a passerby perspective. Cause you're on a golf cart, you're going back and forth, you're, you're enjoying the air conditioning. So, I mean, I'm sure there was almost like a, a time travel factor to it where you'd go into the office for a couple hours and you come out and things have somehow gotten worse. And it's like oh, each yeah. time like you go in or out or make, make your way out to the grounds, there's something else that's going wrong and you're seeing it yeah. happen over this, this period of time. And you were there when everything was clean, you know what I mean? Right. So exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's really bizarre. So, now it's it's Sunday. Yeah. What's it like on the last day? I mean, I I, I know you guys are yeah. you guys are gonna have to be there, so you're not really wrapping up. But everyone right, else, yeah. you know, the, the 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 concert itself is wrapping up. So kind of let, let, let's let's go through Sunday and just take me through that day and night, man. We're we're here. We're we're on the yeah. we're, at, we're at the meet. Exactly. We're there. Um, like I said, I, I remember I went at some point. I started out like any day, and I went home. I went back to because I knew I had the night shift. I was going to work overnight and at least late into the night. And so I went <laughs> home and I took a nap, right? I took a nap, and um, uh, I, when I got back, I had my camera with me, and I started walking towards our production trailer. And like I said, we walk out, and the drum circle wasn't too far away from the, the hangar where the rave and, and the emerging artists uh, were. And it just was like, crazy and I, I'm, I had my camera and people were like coming up to the camera like fuck you like like yelling at me into the at, at the camera i was just like oh okay i i really wish i had interviewed people like um, the other um survivor you had on there did um that would have been amazing and, and i don't know what i was doing i just saw some dude with a camera but um but in any case um I, people just like yelling at me and like and i remember the thing that i was just like what is going on is I looked over to uh, where the Tibetan monk's tent was. It was a big, like, circus tent with whatever. And I looked up there, and there was, like, five or six people up on top of the tent, like, going up to the top of the tent and, like, sliding down. And I think they cut it, and I was just like, what is God happening? damn, like pirates on a sail. 100%. That's exactly what it was. I was like, and they're just like, fuck this place. You know what I mean? Like, that's what the attitude was. I was like, fuck this place. Fuck everybody that works here. Like around yeah. when did that really kind of start start turning like that, where where it was being direct, like where it wasn't in the pits anymore? I mean, was that kind of more after the music where you're seeing that more, or was it was the day kind of leading up to that? Yeah, I was I was not there for the afternoon on Sunday. Um, when I got back at like I don't know, it had to be like it was wasn't dusk yet, so it was probably like five. Okay. Um, it was, I was already in full bloom at that point. You know what I mean? So I don't know if it was the whole day was leading up. I mean, the whole weekend was leading up to that moment, really. But but that day, I don't know. It was just, I, it was substantial difference from when I left in the morning to when I came back. I was like, where am I? Like, this is this is craziness. And, and Yeah, that, that's got to be like, what the fuck happened in the last couple yeah, hours? <laughs> yeah. So I see that happening. People are yelling at me because I'm wearing, you know, I have the access pass and the shirt on and I've got a camera. I'm like, um, and this is a really expensive camera back then. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go. So I took the camera back to our production office and locked it up. I went back out 
and it was it was already had started. I think the Chili Peppers were playing it by this point, and I just people were like come streaming back, and I just remember people like, and the vendors were all like standing like out front of their their booths, like so people wouldn't tear them up, you know, like if people right. were there. Standing guard. Did they have like any like kind of weapons, or were they holding no. like pipes or nothing? No, it was just kind of like no move yeah, along. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know. I think people are real brave when there's, you know, they're fighting against an ATM, you know what I mean? Like a right. gas machine, uh, which they, they had, there was one right next to our production trailer. And that's, you know, that's where they took out a lot of their anger. All of them were just beating the crap out of this thing. And, and I think they eventually broke it open. And then when that was boring, uh, <laughs> the other <laughs> scary moment, I remember like it was me and Tim Foster and a couple other people. And I remember them, destroying that and getting bored with that and then turning and one guy like took his hand and slapped our production trailer because I said we tipped this thing over. And well, then, you guys are in it? No, we were oh. outside, but there were, there were some people in it, but Tim, who's six something, six foot four, uh, and myself, I'm not huge, but I'm not small either. So we, we walk over there. Tim goes, I say you don't. <laughs> <this kid." laughs> and yeah, it was, it was, a moment, I was just like, um, let them tip it over. <laughs> and, and the guy was just like, yeah, uh, okay. And then they just they just went on their way. Um, the people in the other production trailer by the the, uh, the West stage didn't fare so well. Their their trailer did get knocked over. I think somebody was in it too. Oh fuck! Yeah, they, they, they didn't get hurt seriously at all. But still, it's got to be a little scary with a, a crowd rioting outside your trailer and knocking it over, like you know. Oh that sure, time. yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and when and when you say trailer, I mean these are like, like kind of like the portable classroom kind of deals, or like, are, are they? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You, like you'd see like at a big construction site, like those kind of trailers. Right. Yeah, like a bungalow yeah. type trailer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we had one of those trailers, and when we went back, because this is near the the back end of our trailer, we went back to defend the trailer. Somebody, I don't know how, but somebody um, hot wired and somehow took off in our golf cart. <laughs> oh my god. We went back to like, oh, okay, let's get these people and our golf carts gone. Like, ah, shit. And the funny thing about it was because it had this that pole with the yellow light, we could see where it was. <laughs> we could see it <laughs> in the crowd. And we see it go, oh, it went into the campground and it was fucking around in the campground for a while. And we're like, oh, well, I guess that one's gone. You know, uh, we had to that off. But it was, it was just funny. We could see the rest of the, the riot just where it was. And we're like, we're not getting that thing back. I would love um, to interview the guy that took it. <laughs> yeah, and like hear hear your story coming out. Like, like yeah, yeah, your story ends with you coming out and seeing the golf cart go away, and his starts with it peeling out. <laughs> that yeah. that that's like the yeah. kind of cinematic shit that uh, we strive for yeah. on this show. I I would love to hear that and see that, and you know he must have had a ball in that thing. Oh my god, yeah, he's he's. There's a good chance that someone that would do that is no longer with us. So. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about that. So okay, so the trailer's um, yeah. gone. So now you guys are, are well not stranded, but you're not you're not escaping on a fucking golf cart anymore, you know. Right. So this is at the point this is about the point where I, I told the story earlier about the, the vendors with the little girl. I think they came over to us and I said, I'll I'll get them out of here. So I went towards the exit and that's when I met the the uh, fine people of the New York State uh, police. And I go, Okay, follow me and I so now I had to go back through the our production offices where the roads and stuff were, I'm like, I don't know what to expect over there. We got over there, and it was not crazy, um, but 
<laughs> people in our production office were so freaked out that they nailed themselves in. So you couldn't get in from that, from where the wave was into our production office. They had nailed the door shut. Like barded it up like a zombie movie. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like a zombie movie. Jesus exactly. Christ. I've never actually heard of anyone in real life boarding up a door. I know, right? <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I'm into some fucked up parts of history, and I've never <laughs> heard of anyone <laughs> fucking barricading yeah. themselves. Jeez, especially, but again, the, and, and I'm sure like anyone that listens to this show or was there can agree with this. It's like, it's so crazy because it's, this is Woodstock. Like right. what happened to Peace, Love, and Music? You have the employees boarding themselves into a trailer out of fear for their lives. Like, yeah, yeah. And I think part of it was, too, because it was part of the actual structures of the Air Force Base, our production office, which is separate from our production trailer, right? The trailer was out in the field. The production office was part of a building that was you know, had the hangar. And, and by the way, I, because I thought I was going to make a, the world's greatest documentary on this, I, I took the um, blueprints for the whole layout of the whole place. And oh, wow. Super, they're super detailed down to the last little... Thing. But um, so I had those. If you guys want to check that out? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Look at it at some point. Um, so, so yeah, so this production office um, was where they nailed us out uh, to keep people out. So then we had to, I had to figure out another way to get them out, and um, I got them out eventually safely. Um, but it was just like those couple of moments where I was just really, literally scared for my life. Where first of all, the the crowd was going to kill us, and then then the state uh, troopers. So. Um, anyway, that, that was that. So the next day I, I, you know, I was up all night. Yeah. I was going to say, how do those two days transition? Like there's there, I'm guessing there's no going to bed during that shit. So I mean, like, like what, what, like how did it thin out? Like, if you remember, I mean, I know you, you were kind of finding safety, but I mean, like, was there just like a big push to get everyone out finally? And then there was like a breath. Exactly. What happened was the, um, the line of New York police were just, they would just, they just moved forward and swept everybody out in a giant line. Right. And then once they cleared it, you know, everyone really except for us that worked there were there. Um, but I guess too, you also talked to some survivors that went back in after or around the line or something. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the same guy that, that you were talking about that, uh, was, yeah. was filming. Yeah. He, he just kind of, found the edge well i mean that's what happens at like the great wall of china like if you go to the great wall of china like it, it ends you know and then you just yeah. walk around it so around it's like world, it is yeah. it is this beautiful you know powerful thing and you know like a uh like how like the power of a riot squad police lineup but there's they're gonna run out of guys and then you just go around <laughs> yeah. yeah which is what i guess you could do um so then i just remember the next day just being drained emotionally like oh my god this is crazy what i just went through and I called my um, my mom and dad. I said, hey, you guys are going to see some things on the news. I just want you to know I'm okay and all that. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no clue what I was dealing with at the time. And then later on, I guess, it, you know, the news about it came out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure. I mean, people were uh, waiting for – I mean, be- with the exception of, like – MTV and stuff, and also a lot of the uh, the production crews that were doing the media, they left like when things really right. started getting bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like you can see some really great footage from like the pay per view cameras that were fixed to the stage and above for like the dynamic angles. And there's uh-huh. and there's some new stuff, but for the most part, it's people like you and like Andy. Like it's a lot of home footage that was sent into the news companies because yeah, they all uh-huh. left. I mean, because yeah. yeah, anyone that had an employee shirt 
of any type was kind of like an enemy on the grounds to a lot of the rioters. Yeah. And exactly. Because it like that it's not because of you it's because of what that shirt represents you know and it's like yeah, anything with the little woodstock it was really the woodstock bird was like a trigger like i feel like anything with that little fucking bird yeah, printed on it the, was gonna yeah the guitar with the bird on it yeah yeah it's over if you have that yeah <laughs> yeah that's so true so yeah so um, i mean you're drained and yeah you called your parents yeah, yeah i called him i left a message because it was really early in the morning um and like oh when you see the news well speaking of news you gotta ask colin about it because we were there for a day or two afterwards um trying to sort through everything but colin uh was actually on the um Geraldo Rivera show speaking of news oh wow and i'll let him tell that story because that's his story to tell yeah that's amazing i can't wait yeah he's uh he's he's up third yeah ne- next to this <laughs> and next is peggy i got her coming on in like an hour or so excellent excellent yeah, yeah this is a big one folks you you guys listening at home this is the this is the i mean I don't really have any desire to do any more vendor stuff after this. Cause I have three of you and this is like, this is it. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like, unless yeah. like I could get like a bong salesman or something like, it's like, it's yeah. pretty crazy, man. But, uh, yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. I want, I need someone like really bad or like Fred Durst or something next to, to top <laughs> yeah, like a, yeah, th- yeah. a triple header survivor story like this. So yeah. what, like, what's like the cleanup? Like, I mean, you were, I know you, you had to stay lo- like, I mean, what most would be, you know, considered long after everything was over. So what's kind of it like after, after the smoke cleared? Um, I don't know how they actually wound up doing the major cleanup, but it must've been major. There was, there was a car, like an old Mercedes that was flipped over and burning at some point, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, all the tractor trailers that were, that were just had been set on fire were, I was just like, I don't know whose job it is going to be to clean that up, but it wasn't mine. Uh, and I had a flight to catch because I had to fly back to L.A. So I don't know what all people had well, to do. Well, when did you yeah. – well, I mean, like, like as far as, like, your guys' stuff go, like, mm-hmm. you know, like how long after did you stay? Because – and did you – you the three of you guys stayed at different periods of time, right? Or, or right. did you all leave together? Okay. Pretty much together. They, they – my – friends i think at the time they were living in new york i was living in los angeles um i know we were there for at least a, a, another day afterwards it might might have been two days but um you know it wasn't it wasn't you know the ritz carlton staying at those barracks that we were staying and so i think i wanted to get out of there so i, I think i was there a couple days after okay yeah and you guys went out and and, and searched uh you know yeah. When, when CD yeah. shopping, <laughs> you know what I think I like to look at it as garbage picking as opposed to looting. Yeah, <laughs> hey, hey, you know that that's <laughs> to teach is not. So, yeah. uh, well, fuck, man, that's crazy. I mean, what what are your thoughts on it now, looking back? And I mean, have you been to any like big festival since? I mean, what, do you have any other comparable stories? Was that kind of the the be all end all concert story? I mean, what what, what does it yeah. all mean? You know? Yeah, that that's kind of nutty that's a, certainly the craziest thing i've gone through and, and for a lot of reasons um but you know i've been i was on i toured with alanis for a little while on um you know we went to all the european festivals that had a, a, the same hundred thousand people and everything was so great and cool and just well run i did just didn't have the details down like they should have you know what i mean um there's a Lollapalooza in chicago that is an awesome festival and they know what they're doing, and, and people love it, and they have some of the biggest bands in the world play there. 
and you know, right. And they've never had a problem like this. No. Yeah. No. Only Woodstock. Only Woodstock, folks. (laughs) Do things go this wrong? 94, 69, only Woodstocks. (laughs) Do things really go this bad? (laughs) The Woodstocks is. Yeah, um, yeah, it's the curse. It's the curse. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Although you know, some some might say sixty nine was actually not a curse. It was a, one of the greatest things. But... Well, that that's the thing. It, it and it was, and that's why we had two more. But if you look yeah. at what really happened, you know what I mean. There was, you know, there were some people having yeah, the worst yeah. time of their lives there. You know, yeah. but the, the brown acid, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then you had the brown water at 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 Woodstock yeah. at Woodstock ninety nine. <laughs> right, right. And they were both ending out, closing out decades, right? Like 69 and 99. Yeah. No, it's, it's a huge you know? turning point. It was just a different thing. There was still hope in 69. And I feel like in 99, <laughs> there wasn't. Because the only thing to look forward yeah. to in 99 was the, the possibility of the world ending when all the clocks and uh, <laughs> yeah. digital shit didn't set right. itself back, you know? So right. there was this, like, abysmal kind of, like, apocalyptic feeling in the air. And I mean, you know, I was, I was such a little kid that I was too young to understand that it was bullshit. So I was like scared, you know, but a lot of my friends are, you know, and and that's just kind of how it was. Uh, then you see the movie end of days with Arnold Schwarzenegger and it kind of scares you even more. And then (laughs) Woodstock 99 goes wrong, but shit, man. Uh, well, I, I hope uh, you tell your friend Alanis that the folks over here at podcast 99 say hello and that she did a great job. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You guys are, you guys are very kind her. I think she's awesome, and she's an amazing performer. And you know her music. Oh yeah, is... she yeah she got off easy yeah. compared to some of the other groups that we <laughs> talked about. But that's yeah. only to keep our sanity. It's like mystery science theater. Sometimes it's like we have yeah. to watch them all, and the only way to stay sane is yeah, by finding yeah. things wrong with them. But no, everyone Absolutely. that played is a, an amazing musician, and they all deserved it uh, for better yeah. or worse. Yeah. Yeah. So, Indeed. Brian, thank you so yes, much. I can't wait to talk Absolutely. to your teammates. This has been great. I will help you send over those blueprints. And uh, <laughs> folks, this was this was the first installment of our Survivor Story triple header. So, uh, we'll uh, catch you on the next round here. Thank you, Brian. Okay, so that was the first part of our three-parter. Uh, survivor story here, our triple header, if you will. We're going to have Peggy on next. She was. Uh, the but one half of the brother sister duo in in this story we we had Brian and then we're going to have Peggy and then we're going to have Colin Colin and Peggy our brother and sister they worked alongside Brian in the vendor village uh doing all the kind of behind the scenes stuff with, with with the vendors again you know as we just learned it's not the food vendor it's the it's the goods it's the bongs the clothing the bumper stickers and CDs and Woodstock merch and, and all that stuff that's kind of what they were dealing with and we're going to start from the top again. But again, this is just kind of an interesting thing to do because we're going to get three sides to kind of the same experience because they were with each other for the majority of this time. So we're going to go ahead and get her on the line here. Okay, so I am here with Peggy. This is the second part of our three-parter, the the triple header. I, I'm just very excited that we have three people that were virtually on the same team, so to speak, uh, all together here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm excited to talk Woodstock. Uh, it's been it's been awesome. it's been a very Woodstocky day for me. I just had uh, <laughs> had your boy Brian on the phone, and now we're gonna get your story. But you know, it, it's even though you guys were working side by side, you guys, all three of you, I'm sure, had very different experiences um, on a detail. Very much, very very much so. I mean, yeah, we were on the same team, but we were uh, we were all sort of assigned a little bit different stuff. Um, and then we would 
basically come back together every day to debrief some of the stuff we experienced, a lot of funny stuff, a lot of what the hell stuff, and then a lot of like, oh my God, is this really happening stuff. So, um, yeah. And it, plus it, working with my brother, is, it's just kind of fun. You kind of, I think you're a bit more real with your family, whereas you're a bit edited with other people, but yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the year is 1999. What are you doing? What, 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 where are you working? What, what, what kind of person are you? Have you been going to concerts before? Did you work in this kind of job before? What, yeah. What, what's going on? What, what, what were you like? So I, I actually, I, well, I started in the music business in 1995. And so I started actually in Horde Festival. And that's where I pretty much met the whole team of people that were doing Woodstock, um, we were all working together in different aspects of Horde, and I was doing, at the time, I was doing, like, just sort of dressing room stuff, I was working out on the concourse with some of the vendors, I sort of floated around doing whatever, I was just a lot of hanging out, um, but by trade, I was a chef, so... I, I started in 96 working as a private chef on the road. And so that's what I did is mostly I cooked for bands. And I was working that year in 99. I was working in the beginning of the year. I was with Neil Young on his solo tour. And then I got asked to do at the same time, I got asked to do Woodstock 99 or I could do that or I could go work for Tom Petty. And uh, Tom Petty was a bit of my sort of dream job at the time was my dream dream job so right. i i opted i opted to do that and uh it became pretty apparent in the beginning of working for tom petty in the beginning of the summer that i didn't want to do it i was like i don't i'm not jiving with this crew and i want to go do i don't want to go do woodstock with all of my friends and my brother and kind of hang out and do that so i made a phone call and they were like yeah as soon as you can get off that tour come up to rome new york and start working on this because they were there was about two weeks of pre-production, so I got up there about, yeah, around 12 days before it started. I mean, that's a pretty uh, decent position to be in where you can just choose whether you want to, you know, be touring with Tom Petty <laughs> or go work at Woodstock 99. You know, Woodstock 99, of well, course, now has different connotations, but at the time, it's like, oh, like, you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, that's a pretty sweet uh, choice to have well, to make. Well, it was, and I mean, and it's that, it's that one of those things, too, where you, I mean, Woodstock's iconic, right? And I didn't want to miss out. Not only were all my friends that I love working with going to be working at it, it's, you know, I wanted to say I was there. My father in 69 uh, actually was going to go to it and then detoured and ended up going to a baseball game. Uh, since he's <laughs> that decision. Nice. And, uh, and then my brother worked the one in the early 90s. And then um, and, and a lot of my friends did as well. And so I just I felt like I was missing something. And it, it was kind of one of those things like, oh, I just want to say that I did it. Right, because so, yeah, it, it was, still had the was, Woodstock vibe to it. It on did, paper. and and I think uh, I think the big thing was is even though what was it was it ninety four the one yeah the Woodstock ninety four yeah. yeah so yeah so that even though you know was at the epitome of the nineties it had like you know the whole mud festival and it had its own spin of fun and people were you know all I heard about was how life-changing and, and amazing it was. And I was like, I want in on that. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, yeah. The, the FOMO. But, you know, it's not like nowadays yeah. where there's a big festival to look forward to every year, like Clockwork, and new ones pop up all the oh, time. Yeah. I mean, something this big only came around, you know, whenever a Woodstock would come around. You know, it was a, it was a much well, more of a cultural, yeah. impactful thing on paper. But, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, you're, cor- you're correct in that, but at the same time, you got to remember in the 90s, right, there was, 
Chord Festival. Uh, there was Lollapalooza. There was Lilith there. There were a lot of festivals. And in hindsight, when you look back on it, uh, I really feel like that they were, that was, you know, we all know now that they were, they were capitalizing on a lot of things, right? It was all, it was all money driven. It wasn't this, it wasn't what it was originally. And so it was capitalizing on, on how popular those festival tours were. Of course. And so, yeah. Of course. So when you find out that you're going to work there, what's, what's the first step? I mean, like, how does it start? What's your first day on the job at Woodstock 99 looking like? Uh, well, basically because there was, I mean, I can't even remember how big our team was. I don't think it was more than like a dozen or 14 of us. Uh, we all got there early and we were, we were the core group of the logistics on the human element, right? So you have the crew that comes in who's building out the whole entire, you know, the stages and, you know, setting up the tents and all that stuff. We were coming in and our whole thing was to get all the credentials ready for all of the people who were going to be on the concourse. So it was, whether it was a food vendor or a nonprofit person or a craft vendor, you know, the people that were selling like hemp jewelry, stuff like that. We were in charge of all of that. So we just had a lot of logistics of getting people's credentials and parking passes and, and all that stuff. And, and basically just a lot of team building, right? So all of us had worked together in all these other different, you know, different festivals previously. So we were pretty much a well-oiled machine. We're all friends from New York for the most part. So it was a lot of fun. It was just a lot of, you know, during the day stuff and then a lot of hanging out in Rome. And this was before everybody showed up in Rome. So it was just this charming little Americana town that it felt like. Right. Yeah. Brian was talking about driving. Yeah. He was talking about driving movie theaters and just kind of in bowling, you know? Yeah. Like, we were it. There was just a, really, we were just hang, hanging out and having a good time. And we were all staying on the, uh, I'm sure Brian told you, on, because it was at the airbase, and so we were staying at the airbase housing. And because we were some of the first ones up there before all the press and everybody came up, we actually were allotted houses with beds, which was awesome. But the only thing was, is which is, which is unheard of now, is they gave us beds, but they didn't give us any bedding. No towels, no sheets, nothing. We had to, like, <laughs> if we wanted, or there was no pots and pans. So we all, I, I don't know, I mean, it must have been Walmart or some Kmart or something like that. We had to drive, and everybody had to go buy their stuff. So oh my God. it wasn't, uh, yeah, it kind of, I mean, we weren't getting like, paid a ton of money, so it cut a little bit into our, our cost, but. Right. Yeah, like well, and, I mean, was, and was this co-ed? Yeah. Like, was this co-ed? Was it just like everyone's, you know, you just, or was it like split up, like men's camp, women's camp kind of deal thing? Like, for as far as the sleeping well, situation, they were, they were no. I mean, they were actually three bedroom homes, so it wasn't like oh, it was oh, all okay. girls in one house. So, but we had to share. Oh, and room, this is so be- this is before, should... right? Is this so? This is before the festival started. Yes, before, but this was our this was our allotted house for the whole time. Like we were actually some of the only people that actually got a house because I remember like the, some of the MTV guys, they just got blow up mattresses, you know, crammed into a barrack kind of thing. We actually had rooms, which is pretty funny because we were barely barely were ever there because we were working around the clock when the festival was going on. But yeah, um, it was a pretty cool house situation. But we had to basically buy everything for it. <laughs> wow. So okay, let's uh, let, let, let's let's talk about 
first of all, you, I mean, you were mentioning getting everyone's passes together for, for the vendors and, and, you know, getting everyone's credentials and all that. Did it seem at the time that it was being ran well or at least as well as festivals in your experience? Or was there any kind of logistical stuff from the start where you're like, whoa, this isn't kind of how things are run? Like, No, I got, no. honestly, the, the woman who hired us, uh, Heidi, she is really at the top of her game. And she's still, you know, she's a, a bit of a big shot in, in the entertainment industry right now. And she is, like, I, I don't think I'd go work for many other people who were doing this sort of thing. Like she, everybody knew what they were doing. All of the vendors that were there were professional vendors. We knew them from other festivals. This wasn't shocky. Everybody knew what the deal was. The people were coming in and building all the structures. These were professional people coming in. What was not professional was what happened afterwards. Like, because... There's all those extraneous, you know, there's all the security guards, right, that need to go into place. And the people who are supposed to be picking up the garbage, like all those people, those were people that were just basically pulled off this any, from any, any area in upstate New York. But it was just like, oh, let's get, uh, you know, the, these guys from the prison right. <laughs> who want to moonlight, have them come and give them passes. And so a lot of those people were told that, okay, you're going to get a pass, you're going to get, you know, whatever, an hour, and you're going to get a cool T-shirt, and here you go. And they all showed up, and an hour later, they just disappeared. Like, nobody came to work. But leading up to leading up to it, it was all professional, super organized. Yeah, so, so, so until it really mattered, <laughs> everything, was, yeah. everything was fine. But then once things really yeah. mattered, uh, it, all, it all went to shit. Uh, it's, kind of what, yeah. it's kind of the general consensus uh, that I've gotten here. But um, okay, so when it's your first day of of the festival starting, so let's let's talk about that pre-show Thursday. Uh, what what kind of stuff are you doing job wise as the festival goes on? So obviously Thursday, only one of the stages was open. It was kind of the pre-show day, but just kind of what's like a a day in the life of uh, you know a person in your position during the actual concert. So like it's in. basically like a vendor. So we're basically like vendor coordinators. So there was two offices on site and I'm sure you know like between the stages it was just over 2 mile walk between the two and so they had uh two booths set up and you were assigned uh basically an 8 hour 10 hour shift um to one of these uh it was like a trailer like one of those double wide trailers air conditioned right. and uh so we basically had to man it. We had to make we we were a point person for anybody who had an issue, or if any concert goers too had a question, they could knock on our door and ask a question. We weren't really an info booth, but it was if there was an emergency, uh, you know, you could come to us. But basically, our thing was is making sure that the vendors were all taken care of, and um, you know, if they had an issue, or if you know they needed water, if they needed whatever. Um, if they had a security issue with somebody trying to rip them off, we could get security, or at least we thought we could get security for them. Right. Uh, that was the like, intent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the intent. It really is a pretty kind of, you're not, you're not hustling. You're not bustling. Uh, you're, you're actually working. I mean, everybody thinks you're there and it's really great. and You're going to get to watch the show, but you're so far removed from the stage and you kind of have to stay within a certain radius of, of your booth so that people can have access to you. So you can hear, I mean, the problem is, is where the position is of those booths is you can kind of hear one stage, but you can kind of hear the other stage and, they, and it's just it's a lot of feedback and it doesn't sound so great. So it wasn't that exciting. But did you did you was, catch any bands on, on any of the days? Like, were you able to to, to catch any of the sh stuff? Like, say, let's say, know, like the first honestly, day or the pre-show or anything. 
We uh, know, like, the first day, definitely not. Like, we're all really very much focused on making sure everybody's set up and comfortable. And because there's a lot of questions, right? There's a lot of people who are coming from the campground going, I don't even, I can't figure out where to put my tent. I can't find my friends. I've lost this already. Something's been stolen, you know, whatever, right? There's just a list of things you're dealing with. But um, I try to focus more on the rave uh, hanger. Like, yeah. I just, I was more I was more interested in that. That was way cool. And then I wanted to see a couple of the headliner bands like Dave Matthews and Jamiroquai. Like I tried to catch those, but um, yeah, like I said, it was hard. Like you would get to one stage, you would watch some, and then by the time you would get to the other stage, that would already be half through its set, and then you'd just be sweating balls, and you'd be like, "Oh my god, I gotta walk back all the way to the other stage." So Fuck. it was a lot of walking. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, Brian was telling me that, like, you know, you guys had access to water and, and things like that. But, I mean, I, I'm sure on the grounds you were seeing, it was it was not the same for attendees. You know, the, the experience being had by <laughs> some of the employees of the festival was uh, far different than that. Even on, on say, the, the first day when it opened, you know, because it was so hot. Was, was everyone expecting the, the weather to be that, that gnarly? Well, I mean, know, it, was a, it was a beautiful day on the first day, and I remember, I remember thinking how awesome it was and how all of the co- people showing up to the concert were really organized everybody had their camping gear everybody was walking in it was like single file the the loading was spread out over something like 12 hours and they just kept coming in droves but it wasn't like a mob scene you were it, it didn't have this manic feel at all it was everybody was stoked to be there and then you know our day-to-day for for at least you know thursday friday was just you know it was just kind of it was really it was comfortable right everybody everybody was really enjoying it and I think people were really excited but it went within 24 hours it went from being this sort of sunshiny like yay we're at camp with music playing to dude you're playing in mud and it's not mud it's actually poop like what are you doing yeah and then you, you start seeing people starting to look you know starting to get overheated and it really did like after the first day, it just got, it was so hot. And on all that, I mean, I'm, everybody's talked about it, like the tarmac. And, and that was, because, like, you can't, you can't really enjoy your job when you're literally propping people up, trying to find any lick of shade that you can get them into. And that's a big part of our job, too, is just like, okay, you know, get them to the medical tent, get them into, like, w- with our little trailer, literally in the middle of the concourse, there was like a sliver of shadow and we would just pile as many people into the shade. So people were coming up to, people were coming up to your guys' trailer, like, which was like kind of, uh, that's like in the vendor village area type thing, right? Yeah. Just off to the side of it. But But, people, but people are coming for help, like actual, like, like (laughs) help me help. Not, not like I need extra change or where's this tent help. It's, People, like so you had actual audience members you know needing medical assistance coming to you guys yeah we had um yeah honestly it was it was it was never it was never ending and uh, you know one thing that I that I talk about that you know it's it's kind of hard to talk about it's like the first day there you know we had a girl come to our booth and she claimed she'd been raped and, oh my God. you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, I know what, why would somebody on the first day of a, of a concert who's paid all this money to, to be at a festival come up and claim that? And it was, I just, 
you know, as women who were there, she came to us because we were women. There weren't a lot of women working. Uh, you know, we got right, her to yeah, the medical right. tent. Um, got her to the medical tent. But I really feel like the any time that, that happened, and it, it didn't, it happened every single day that somebody came up and was like, "I've just been raped." And oh my god! I just, I just felt like it was dismissed by so many people. Whether it was like, well, you know whatever, like, they, you know, what were they wearing, that kind of, it, you know, there wasn't the same sort of Me Too movement and mentality that we have now, and so... Oh, no, of course not. Was, no, I mean, and that shows, yeah. that, that's kind of always been the overlying shadow on Woodstock 99 are that. And I mean, for all the, those stories, you know, and all, you know, for all the ones that were actually reported to police, there's, I mean, countless that, that weren't. And yeah, it's because of the attitude. I mean, it's terrible, but you're definitely the first person we've had on the show that has actual confirmation that that was something that was happening on the grounds. I mean, it's, it's frightening, you know, and on the first day, but, 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 but all, you know, all, I mean, and I, I'm I'm careful in saying it because you never I never want to discredit anybody what they're saying and I'm and I for I for sure any any one of those women that came to me I believe them 100 percent but I'm not a doctor I'm not I'm not a um, I'm not, not like a I'm counselor not in order yeah I'm not a counselor I'm not prepared for any of that all I was there was to say okay let me get you the help that I can get you. Like, let me get you the police. Let me get you a doctor. Let me, whatever. And that's, that's the length of it. But it, it honestly, that was my first day of that festival. And so that kind of, for me, it tainted my experience. Whereas the guys were like, Oh, that, that totally sucks. That happened to you. But you know, Hey, what, you know, were they, did they have a shirt on? Like, were they asking for it? Like that sort of stuff where you're like, come on guys like, right because i mean yeah no one's asking yeah. for that. i mean it's woodstock so there's no i mean the, well that and we've always talked about that and i mean maybe you can you know you have a comment on this but there seems to be there's like the woodstock 69 energy clashing with the woodstock 99 energy and the girl you know on on a, on a pair of shoulders with her shirt off listening to dave matthews is 69 woodstock energy whereas you have the grubby hands coming up from the crowd grabbing at them mercilessly no matter what the band is yeah. and that's the 99 attitude it's like the two spirits just didn't exist or they couldn't coexist in youth culture at that time. You know what I mean? It's I, And maybe it's the yep. music, maybe it's society. Who knows why it, they came to a head, but they just clashed in a really horrific way, and that's a perfect example. Well, they did and they did, and I don't, and I don't want to, like, there, there are plenty of men and women who were respectful of, of women and girls that were at, at the show. Oh, of course, but there yeah. were also there also were, you know, because of where we were positioned right in the middle and we would sit there at our booth and watch people go by and there'd be girls, you know, walking by and crowds of boys would go around and just harass them. And I know it's a little bit of what boys do, but it was above and beyond that. And then definitely as each day went by and people were more and more tired and people had been partying harder, it became definitely a little bit more aggressive than, than what is comfortable or manageable. Right. So, I mean, and talking about that, because, you know, Brian, he had a, a, a great point about, you know, as the time went on, you know, and you kind of see things breaking down. So that was day one. I mean, day one, you already have this horrific story and, and it's kind of changing the way things seem. But now by when day two hits, that's when you start actually seeing the grounds themselves kind of breaking down. I mean, did you see like a big difference kind of trash-wise, sanitation-wise, when did that really start taking a turn in your memory? Oh, like within, I, I would say by Saturday morning, it was pretty gross. <laughs> it was pretty gross already. I mean, by Friday afternoon, it was already gross because it was so dry 
and people wanting wanting to relive the mud experience, and it was gonna there was not any mud experience other than raw sewage. So where people were either too drunk to realize or whatever, you know, whether it was a it was it was a mix by the toilets where there was a you know broken fountain and raw sewage happening, and so that's when you start going, okay, you know, it's kind of jumped the shark already, and we're you know we're not even not in right. today. And then Saturday had this amazing like Saturday gives you the meat of the festival, right? Where you're you know there's going to be some awesome headliners. And, you know, you're spending all night, you don't have to pack up and leave, and you're going into Sunday, so, you know, it's full yeah, on. Yeah, like, that, that's that full tilt, week. yeah. Yeah, so it's exactly. And so that was a lot of fun, but it started, like, I just remember there was this Mer- there was this white Mercedes that in the thick of it, I mean, every single concert goer that was going to be at the festival was there on Saturday. And there was a Mercedes that somehow managed to come through the gates and drive right down the concourse and they just had a bunch of people in the car just driving you know they're driving really slowly it wasn't like they're maniacs but it was like how how did these guys get on but it just goes to show that there was no security anywhere there was like no monitoring of stuff right it was too big i mean it was it was too big and yeah it was too understaffed that that car actually i do have the story of that car just so so you guys know uh it was stolen uh, that was a stolen car. Brian actually saw that car on uh, the next day turned over in flames. There's pictures of that in, in some was. of the magazines. It was. So I, I actually, somewhere I have it in my house in New York. I have a picture of it on Monday morning when it, all the smoke cleared. There it was upside down. like. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, we, had, we were in hysterics over it because we kept saying, you know, dude, what are you doing? And they were just smiling and they're like waving. And it, and at that point on Saturday, at some point when we were, we were trying to, trying to get through the crowds to get to the car to be like, you cannot be driving through the crowd. And we had a golf cart. Uh, we turned around and our golf cart had been stolen. <laughs> and the golf cart had like this big antenna on it. And all you could see was the top antenna just disappearing into the crowd. Like you could, and you couldn't even get to it. So it was just oh, like, Oh my God. So now our vehicle has been stolen. Yeah, stranded. Okay, so because again, you know, it, it's so easy for me to get overexcited during these interviews because it's like I finally have like information that I wasn't able to find before. So, but I am trying to keep it linear here. So we're talking day two. Sanitation's at a, okay. a, a is completely fucked now because yeah, people have busted open the water things. There's the sewage coming out of the toilets. That's unusable. You're okay though because you have an air conditioned uh, trailer that, that you can hang out. At. I'm sure you yeah. had uh, your own bathroom too. What kind of we had our own bathroom. What, what kind of stuff were you guys eating like during during this? Just out of curiosity, like like what's lunch looking like at Woodstock '99 for you? Well, you know we had st- we had catering provided for us, and it was. I mean, and this is coming from you know. Keep in mind, this is what I do, right? Like I cater for bands and festivals, so I'm a bit of a snob with this. And it yes. was pretty pretty rough and lo-fi to begin with, but they just kept regurgitating the same food to us. And it was just, I mean, I understand there's a budget for these things and they're feeding hundreds, like a thousand people. But I think, I think it was after the first day before the festival even started, we stopped eating the food and we started just like, I think I think I was eating like potato chips and candy the whole time. Like whatever I bought, <laughs> like it was hard. Like, I think I just had a backpack just full of junk, and that's what I was, like, you know, and like, granola bars and Pop-Tarts and stupid stuff. I think my brother ate an entire bag of, like, 
big M&Ms with peanuts every single day. Like, that's what he was eating. Sustenance. Pure, pure sustenance at that pure point. Pure sustenance. Yeah. But, but you uh, know what? When you're, when you're that hot, you're not hungry. You're just, all you want to do is just stay hydrated. It's true. Yeah. Right? No, no, definitely. Yeah. So it's getting to like the nighttime now. I mean, what, what were you, was your shift like? I mean, when did you get off like per se? Like, like were you able to, cause again, you said that you kind of uh, were more interested in the rave, which I'm going to have you go heavy on in a second or as heavy as you can. <laughs> uh, cause that is the most mysterious aspect of Woodstock 99. There's the littlest footage of it. Uh, all you hear yeah. in any article, it's always just like a paragraph or two and it's just pure debauchery and that's it. And it was. It also took us a long time to even lock down who actually played at it. That's how little information there is about it. But what was your shift like? Like, were you working just in the middle of the day, and then you'd have the night off, or, or were you doing all nighters? Yeah. So what, what was your deal? No, I mean we tr- we tried to switch it up so that everybody had a little bit of something. Um, but most of my shifts were during the day, and then yeah, I was pretty much done by eight o'clock every night. Yeah, pretty much. So, so it left me time to hit the rave, and that's like I said. All I wanted to see was pretty much uh, P Funk, and I wanted to see Fatboy Slim, and I don't even remember who else played. But it was, I think, because it was in the evening, so it was cooler. It was inside, so it felt more contained and not so vast. And yeah, it was just so much more fun. So break it. So, so that. <laughs> so did you go? So Fatboy Slim, he played at the rave on Saturday. Did you see him? Yes. Okay. The whole show. Just as as best as you can, just walk me through that rave. <laughs> what were you, what what kind of things uh, were you seeing? What it smell like? Does just just as to the best of your knowledge. <laughs> uh and honestly, and I'm saying this, I was completely stone cold sober, like through the whole thing so I'm not it wasn't me just bugging out on whatever but it was complete technicolor on every level and it was a lot of people just bared down to basically like you know bathing suits or underwear and a lot of glow sticks and it was just fun like I we just danced for hours and that was fun he's so much fun live like he's just so full on energy and you can't help but be happy and be bouncy and yeah, I just remember there were a lot of people painting each other. I had some guy come over and completely cover me in glow sticks. That was a lot of fun. Um, my brother, I think, was basically in shorts and a boa and giant glasses. That was like the, one of the last. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, he's up next. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He uh, he has better stories about it. His went all into the next day. So, but I remember like one of my last images was just seeing him. Uh, being carried off into the crowd by a bunch of girls oh boy wow to well, yeah. folks on, on the next installment we'll we'll, re, we'll return to that mm-hmm. so but like yeah and, and again being stone cold sober there that's that's a like god bless you you know that's uh you, you, were, you were doing god's work re- retaining what, what, what you could from that were you seeing I mean, I mean did it seem like people were more fucked up than usual i mean obviously during the day the heat's gonna you know totally waste people and make them seem like they're passed out but i mean were you seeing like a lot of illicit drug use i mean some of the attendees that we've talked to have talked about you know them just seeing open sales and, and things like that but like leaving the rave i mean are you seeing people trashed like laid out what, what's that like called like the walk back well, you probably didn't have much of a walk, but 
I don't, you know, honestly, like I've, I did a lot of festivals beforehand and I definitely, you know, for another good 15 years afterwards did a lot of festivals and no more, no less than anywhere else where they messed up or the amount of drug use. I mean, that's what you do at festivals, right? You're there, you're in lockdown, there's no rules. <laughs> it's kind of like right anywhere. now. <laughs> you know, well, there's exactly, there's no real, there, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to drive anywhere. Your mom and dad's not standing over you. And so it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a free for all. And it's, you're going, you're going the long haul. So you're not, yeah. So you're just sort of going for it. And so, yeah, you overindulge or whatever. But I, I mean, I saw stuff, but I don't feel like it was any more or any less than anywhere else. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes total sense. So now it's yeah. now it's the final day. I mean, you've seen the, the the place is trashed by this point. There's a smell in the air, from what I understand. I understand a, a lot of the grounds stunk. Uh, it's 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 yeah. hot. It's it's now Sunday. This is the final day of the concert. Things are about to kind of get a little hairy towards the end. There, you've already been exposed to stories of sexual assault. I mean, I'm sure you. Yeah. Well, well, actually, let let's backtrack a little bit. What were the medical tents like when you would when you would bring someone to the medic tent? What was the scene like there? It was full. It was full. Like it was, you know. Uh, there's obviously the random person who's tripping too much or too hard or not doing too well. And, and nine times out of ten, it was dehydration. And then that was really the the crux of it was dehydration. Like people were passing out, and it was it was rough. Like you would go to the tent, and they would just be like, "Oh my god!" Like another person and. They had, you know, the medics had, like, their little golf carts where they could lay people on it. And, you know, you'd you'd flag, you'd finally be able to get one to come to our trailer to pick somebody up, and they were just full with people who all looked like they were just going to die. So, you know, you would just, you know, you'd hope you could squeeze them onto the flatbed of their little, of their little golf cart, but most of the time you're having to, like, kind of haul people over there and keep them propped up. But it was mostly dehydration, and it was pretty sad. It felt like you, you definitely felt like you were going into a little bit of a war zone when you went there. So a lot of times I just wanted to get them in there and walk away. Like, I didn't want to see it because it just bummed me out yeah, so much. But it, it was also one of, the, it was one of those things where it was just like, God, like, it was just, I mean, I'm sure everyone's talking about it. It was just the water thing. Like, just give these people water like right. why are we charging them all this money for i mean water? there's a there's definitely a direct correlation between what the met uh, between a full medic tent full of heat uh, heat exhaustion and the water prices somehow going up as the festival went on you know yeah so i mean and were you seeing that too like we're, we're like were you noticing like oh why are all these people passing out oh that's weird that the water is so expensive and now that they and now they broke the water fountain i mean were you seeing all that stuff happen or were you aware of the water problem I was, of course we were, of course we were, and it was, yeah, I mean, I have so many thoughts about that, I don't, I I really, I really struggle in general with concerts, that when you go to a concert of any kind, whether it's Woodstock or whatever, and you're paying, you know, what normally if you went to the store and you paid $4 or something, you're now paying $8, right, like, it's, it's robbery, but to keep in, Everyone needs to keep in mind that that vendor who's there selling the water, beer, whatever they're selling you, they're paying a ridiculous price to be there because that's part of the money that's going to the artist. 
So that poor vendor who, you know, is trying to make a living selling burritos, they're, you know, if they're charging $10 a burrito, you know, they're probably paying almost half that to the venue, like whatever money that they're making. So yeah, great point. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I, I, so I just want to preface that. But with that said, at Woodstock, the prices just kept going up. It wasn't like, oh, well, we're going to charge $5 for a small bottle of water. It was like the next day, you know, it, I think it started at $4 and then went to $5 and then went to $6. And then I remember my brother coming to me Sunday morning and we were all really tired, like really super, like we too were dehydrated and we're overtired, even though we had access to water. And I remember my brother saying, we got to get, we got to give people water and somebody had said we've got this whole trailer full of cases and cases and cases of water that were supposed to be for us and we were just not drinking we you know we had more than we needed really so we jumped into the back of the truck opened up the thing and just started handing it out and I remember I remember people coming to (laughs) me like what are you doing like why are you handing all our water out and it was like we cannot watch people like all we're doing is picking people up off the ground from passing out, like we've got to get them water. So we just handed, and of course everybody wanted more than one, but we were trying to get at least one bottle to everybody so they could at least go refill their bottles. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, and again, you know, and, and it's interesting uh, that this is why I wanted to have all three of you guys kind of tell your stories uh, in a row. Cause yeah, Brian was telling me about that moment as well. And I, I was telling him, you guys are like Robin hood, you know, but uh, also yeah. it's kind of funny, like to think of a, a truck being open with people handing water out to people. Like maybe there's uh you know, someone in the crowd that was like, Oh shit, the looting's begun. <laughs> like, and that's where they got the idea. To no, <laughs> I just remember this one girl walking up to when we were handing water out and she just looked at me like she just looked like she was, you know, when you get so dehydrated that you're almost hallucinating and you're just, you look, you have a real kind of almost sweaty gray look to you. And she just looked at me like all crazy wide eyed. And she was like, you mean this is for free? And I was like, oh my God, I gave her actually two bottles. I was like, you need two bottles right now. Drink it immediately. She was just like, thank you. And she just started to cry like that. I mean, like we shouldn't have like the basic needs, like we're bringing people onto a situation where they're going to, you're housing them. Right. And you're providing an experience, but you shouldn't be putting them undue duress. And I felt like we were putting, no, I say collectively, we were putting them under like duress right. and it wasn't, it wasn't fair. And it just smelt cash grabby. And yeah, it didn't have a good feeling at all. Right. And I'm assuming, I mean, and of course that all comes to head Sunday. So now it's, it's the final day. I mean, were, were you on the grounds when, when the fires began say, and and when things really went nasty? Okay. So about what time in the day did you start noticing a turn in things where things weren't going to be, it wasn't going to be another Saturday night. This was a totally different monster. Well, I'm sure you've heard from everybody and from Brian because this was the thing that got us the most was the fucking drum circle, like this drum circle that was going <laughs> on outside the hangar that went, you know, and at first it's kind of like, it's kind of a joke. Like the first day you're like, oh, there's the token drum circle. There's always got to be somebody with a djembe, you know, doing their thing. And then the next day you're like, wow, that drum circle, you know, wow, they're really grooving now. And then by the, by the morning, and they're still going, <laughs> and they look, but if they look crazy, and that, honestly, first thing in the morning Sunday, that's, I mean, before all the craziness started, you were just like, oh, man, this is, 
this doesn't have a good feeling. The drum circle started sounding crazy and manic, and it was just, that it got crazier and crazier as the afternoon went. And I feel like around 4 or 5 o'clock on Sunday, it was it was just starting to get that real ugly feel where you looked at people and everyone looked gross. Everyone was filthy. Everyone was just smeared with, like, dirty sweat. Ugh. Nobody, like, guys were groping girls out in the open. Like, it's just starting to get that kind of, like, okay, the party's over. Yeah, everybody's turning ugly. Yeah, it's like, and then when the, I remember somebody coming over and saying, oh, somebody just passed candles out. And everybody was like, what? Like, oh, you know, you're not thinking too much of it. You're like, that's kind of weird. And then it was like, oh, there started a bonfire. I think it was Brian who actually said, you know, hey, guys, there's a bonfire over there. Should Should we do something about it? And one of the guys that was on our team, He's like an old, old road dog from like the early 70s. He was, you know, and he's got this sort of like a Harley Davidson cowboy vibe to him. And he was like, no, guys, like, you you know, this is, we're fine. You need to relax. And it was actually Brian and my brother and I who were all like, I don't know. This just doesn't feel right. Like it, nothing feels right. And the, and, but it, but, it, but again, it was that drum beat that was just picking up and getting more and more manic. And it felt crazy that people are dancing around the fire. And you know how people get like around a bonfire on the beach where they, you start throwing more things into it. You're just like, yeah, yeah it, it's, fire, it grows. Fire. Yeah. And it grows. And it, and then, then the truck exploded. <laughs> it just seemed like it went from that to the truck exploded to absolute mayhem so now are you so by the time that happens like like yeah exactly so drum beat first of all the way that you just described it like i was getting like anxiety is great but uh i was like feeling like panicky (laughs) like you're thinking about because the drums going the whole time is so crazy because we've talked about those guys forever you have the two main subcultures of woodstock 99 are Drumstock and the mud Nazis and like, you know, the, yeah. the two kind of go hand in hand in this mob mentality thing. But yeah, it's just crazy to think about. So yeah, basically the, you know, things really kind of pop off. Are, are people running in and out of the event? Like, are you seeing people getting looted? Like, are you chasing people away from the trailer? What's kind of your plan of action once things are, so, once it's really apparent? So, so it was actually, so this, that, that Harley cowboy guy, um, he and my brother and Brian and I were all standing there and we're saying, okay, what are we going to do? Cause things are getting bad. And the vendors were coming and saying, uh, you know, we're actually not feeling safe because you got to keep in mind a lot of these vendors. I mean, the, the way you can best describe them is some, some of them are like gypsies, right? This is what they do for a living is they go around to different festivals, but they bring the whole family with them. Right? So there's little kids. A lot of them are, you know, they're just sort of hippie mamas with their, you know, right. with, with the baby hanging off them. and Real and Woodstock stuff. Yeah, like real, like the real deal. And so, and these were all people we'd known for years. And so they were coming to us and they were just like, you know, hey, what, you know, uh, we're not comfortable. Like, but we can't leave our, all our stuff is here. Like, this is our livelihood right here. And so we were trying to come up with a game plan. And literally while we were sitting there, because it happened all so fast we were because like, we were like okay we'll you know we'll take a group of people we'll man this little village of vendors and then we'll go over there and we'll stand with them and we'll do this and that just as we're doing that right around the uh trailer is just 
it was like a mob of people. Like, it was like they came out of nowhere. It was hundreds of them, and they're carrying an ATM. They're all screaming, ATM, ATM. I get knocked back against the trailer. I see big cowboy dude just sort of spin and look, because he was the one who was trying to calm us down, and then he just looked, and he grabbed his radio to be like, we have a situation oh here. Oh, my God. And, and I see Brian take off one way, and then I see my brother literally disappear into a crowd. Like, I saw his face, and then I didn't see his face. And I just, and I'm pressed up against the trailer as there's, that's when they started to rock the trailer and try and knock it over. And that's, that, it was right at that moment that I became super scared. That's when I just went from, okay, we have a situation, how can we handle it, to, oh my God, this isn't good, we're getting hurt. I don't know if my, just what, if my brother's getting like hurt right now, like what's happening. And when I saw the fear in the Harley Davidson cowboy dude, I was yeah. like, Oh my God. <laughs> That's how you really know. <laughs> he's, the, he's the beacon. Yeah. <laughs> and we had our, we all had our radios on it. And there was a, a core part of our production group that were actually they were the main production office, like where Michael Lang and everybody were inside the ha- hangar and they nailed themselves inside the office. Like, that was the crazy wait, thing. It was so, just like, we're coming wait, Michael office, Lang was in there? Was, I don't know where Michael was, but, like, the main production, like, the accountant and some other people who were in there, like, ticketing and all that stuff, we were like, okay, we're coming back to the main office. And they said, you can't come back to the main office. We've nailed it. So, shut in here. And it was, oh that's my. when I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, no it's truly a horror show. movie. It, it felt like it for a few minutes, and it's really interesting because the optics are very different depending on what department you were in, or if you, you know, you, you know, you could talk to the other half of our team who were nailed in, who were like, "Well, actually, you know, we were fine," and they was like, "Well, yeah, you were fine. You were nailed inside a room. Yeah. You went out there with hundreds of thousands of people." <laughs> Yeah, and no, it, it, it's I mean, but even though, but even now, you and Brian's stories, like you guys have different things. Because I mean, he was telling me about like, I mean, he had some other shit, you know what I mean? So, and then you have totally yeah. different stuff too. So, I mean, it's just amazing, just yeah, because there's the moment where you know, and this is the great cinematic moment that I've been wanting. You know, it's like you have Brian taken off, you're you see your brother taken away. Like this is where each of your stories totally break away, and and become kind of like it, it's incredible. Yeah. So, what do you do? Like, where do you go? Well, I mean, for me, obviously, it was because we still had somebody we were working under, and so I kept deferring to her and saying, you know, what do we do? And she was, she was just, she actually went to Michael Lang, and you know, Michael Lang just had like it doesn't matter. I mean, the whole place could be burning down, and Michael Lang just going to saunter through, and he just has like this aura of calm about him where he's just like, well, you know this is one heck of a party, man. Like, you know, I can't wait till we do it again kind of thing. <laughs> Did you have any interactions like, with him? No. Oh, okay. Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> we're just like the peons. Like, uh, we were, I mean, yeah. No, but, no, yeah. but, but I was standing there when he did say, well, this is one hell of a party. Can't wait to do this again. And from at where I was at, at that exact moment, I was in absolute disbelief because his experience and the way he, his optics on, on what a party was compared to what mine were, were way different. So yeah, I was like, well, I'm not coming back. Like this is my, (laughs) I'm done with Woodstock. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck. I mean, so I'm guessing there was no sleep that night. That was, that was a, you you charged. So so that's, that's the thing where, 
every, we got all of the vendors that we could get out because vendors tents were like they were being looted. Um, a lot of families were fearful, so they took their kids obviously, and they went to they got off the grounds. Um, they went back to their own camps. And just we, so my brother, uh, Colin and Brian and I were the only three staff that were left on the ground with all of the national guard and the, and the New York state police. So they, they, and they got everybody off the ground. So we were supposed to stay there. And our thing was, was making sure that the few strag cause there were still stragglers. Like even though there was all of the military kind of vibe going on there, uh, there was still random people that would just sort of pop out of a random tent, just who obviously just missed the whole thing. <laughs> that had just been like in their tent sleeping. We're like, hey, what happened? You know, and meanwhile, there's like smoke and it looks like Vietnam and there's things burning. And, yeah, Christ. Uh, I mean, it's got like, it's got to be like waking up, you know, in a time machine. Now you've hit like the apocalypse. It's like, it's, yeah. Yeah, super. And so we were, we were supposed to be kind of overseeing everybody's stuff and making sure that, you know, just, that people, that their stuff stayed intact. And, and it was stupid because, you know, we found there was just people who, who had, who were assigned to work the, work the show in different capacities that were looting. And it was just, you know, we didn't, we just, Brian was really good about it. Like he would find, you know, um, product from one of the vendors and, you know, in someone's backpack or whatever, because he would just stop them and be like, hey, what do you got there? And the, the, the guy would be like, oh, nothing. And it would just be like, oh, we're here. Thanks for holding on to that for us. We'll make sure they get it back kind of thing. And right. uh, he, he, he's good like that, whereas I'd be, you stole that stuff from somebody. Give it back. But, <laughs> yeah, we were, th- we were there until the wee hours, and it was, uh, it was super creepy, super weird. Um but amazing to watch as the sun came up and just the way the sun was coming through all the smoke. Like it really was this super surreal environment. And then and that was the other thing too, is realizing like I knew there were a lot of uh, national guard there, but when the sun started coming up, it was just, it, it felt like miles of them shoulder to shoulder, just standing there armed. Well, did it seem like a, an appropriate response at, at the time or did it seem excessive considering what, what you had seen throughout the night? I think as far as management control to, to safely get everybody off the ground, you, cause it, like I going back to the beginning is there was no security they hired a bunch of people and all those people fucked off. So we never saw them again. So there was no, you know, and like I said, there was a handful of us who, you know, you can't, you can't manage a hundred thousand people, right? Like you need people who are going to come in with some sort of a fair authority and basically say, this is the way to the exit and you're going to do it. And you're going to do it in an orderly fashion. And this is because there was fires and it was out of control. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so I, I don't feel like I don't feel like it was excessive. It, but it, but it looked like it because it, you're at a festival, and to turn around and see a bunch of people with guns was not what you want to see, right? That's not how you want to go out on a big party. No, yes, that you are correct there. <laughs> so, <laughs> like now, it's you know the 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 smoke is cleared, so to speak. What's kind of like the the cleanup? How long were you there after everything on, on Sunday? Like, when did you actually leave the grounds, or or what kind of things do you do to like, are you just relieved of duty and, and you never look back yep. or, or how, how does it end? Well, you know, I mean, because our job basically was done for us. Like 
because our, our job post that would be making sure everybody got broke down their stuff and left and were on their way. And everything was broken down for everybody, literally broken down. And so we basically, within 20, by Tuesday, I was headed back to New York City. God damn. It was, yeah. Well, and it was, I mean, we were all, we were all a little bit, we spent, uh, my, I don't leave the story for my brother, but like we spent Monday all just a little bit in shell shock and trying to catch up on some sleep. At least Brian Colin and I did because we'd been working for almost 24 hours at that point. And then that night my brother uh, got interviewed by Geraldo Rivera. So we were, we kind of hung out for that and then we left the next day, but it was, it was a little anticlimactic and I, I think I went home and didn't do anything for two weeks. Like I was a little, it was you don't realize that it's a little traumatizing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. No, I mean, yeah. a being pushed up against the wall during during an ATM siege, you know, while while everything yeah. around you is breaking apart. I mean, the things that you heard from from those poor girls, you know, that that found solace in you, going like you know, dragging you know, for lack of a better word, lifeless bodies to the medic tent, you know, because of heat exhaustion nonstop, and just seeing people drop like flies, seeing people covered in human waste, a, a, one of the craziest, longest running drum circles. Yeah, I'd say it's you were a little traumatized and it's very understandable. <laughs> it's well, and it's like, and I, but I don't want to, I don't want to leave it like that though. I do want to say there were, there was those sort of elements just because we were in the trenches and having to kind of navigate through that. But at the same token, you could see how much fun there were a large portion of people were having. And um, my experiences from going as a festival goer and working other shows is, is definitely has been lighter than this. You know, this was definitely a pretty heavy, a heavy one. Right. But, you know, and it, yeah, to, people and did have to... the best time of their lives there, no doubt. You know, there's just like, it's just yeah. the, the black marks on the, on the, on the whole story are just so prominent that it kind of washes well, over I the fact. The, you know. the one black, the one thing is, I think it was, uh, I think it was Kurt Loder, right, from MTV, who right. went on and he, he called it out for what it was. And it was like he was kind of vilified, and the people were calling him being overly dramatic. And I really, it it made all of us who were there, who who definitely experienced what Kurt Loder was talking about, um, not want to talk about it because we were told we were being too dramatic, or you know, oh, it wasn't that bad, or you know, a lot of people had fun. And it was just like, well, a lot of people did have fun, but there were a lot of people who didn't have fun. And everybody, every single person, should have left there having fun. Yeah, agreed. Everybody no, well said. It. No, exactly, and that's that's why we're here today, <laughs> talking about it now. <laughs> so, I mean, what does it all mean, though? I mean, is it is it important to talk about Woodstock '99 in this day and age? Do you think, or do you think this is uh, uh you know, this is just kind of a a silly thing that I'm doing here? Well, how old are you? Oh, I'm I'm 30 years old. I was going to say, because you weren't there, though. So No, 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 no. Yeah, there? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, my question to you is, what is your interest with it? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's like I just, I just, uh, you know, but Brian asked me the same thing. It's so funny. It's, it's you know, again, uh, and, and, you know, the, the folks listening have heard me say this a, a bunch of times, and it's like I can't 
help but reiterate it's like this these were the biggest bands in the world at the time and when you're 10 yeah. years old and mtv is telling you this is what you like that's what you like and not only is that what you like that's what you fucking love and so the fact yeah. that they were all going to be playing this thing in every channel on tv was going to be showing something about woodstock and i knew how big of a deal it was and all the newspapers were going to be talking about it and it was going to be on all the magazines and everything and so you know, so you're you can't help but be glued to it and then it goes as bad as it did that just really stood out and as a little kid you know you're really scared when you see like these big bold print words like you know rape and looting and fires and riots like it, it's it's so yeah. intimidating and it just always stood out to me and as time went on I, I you know i would revisit it just oh like i'll i'll check out some other sets on youtube or oh like i wonder if there's any yeah. stories or oh look at this guy's weird blog i found uh where he tells a story about it and it's just built interest and then you know there's a lot of people you know my age and and even younger that are just fascinated by it because especially nowadays where festival culture is such like a staple of american and, and really world pop culture it's it's crazy to go back and look at that one you know i i feel like though i feel like that was the end of end of the decade end of the millennium like because because festival tours really became such a big big machine in the 90s and that particular one i feel like blew it up for a while and i felt like it died down like people were just kind of it kind of left a bit of a yuck factor to it and then people started coming and i think the good thing that came out of woodstock is that you get the coachellas and um you get bonnaroo and you get all these other festival tours who and not that they tour but you know what i mean like just having big right the big ones yeah they they took they took the good things and they knew they knew what infrastructure had to be in place in order for it not to turn into Woodstock. So that I think is the good, the good that came out of it. And then you have now these amazing festivals. Excellent. Well, I really want to thank you, Peggy, for coming on. This has been awesome. Your story has been harrowing to say the least. And, uh, yeah, well, no, but also, you know, it's, it's, it's always nice to hear more, you know what I mean? And, and just, uh, to really put myself there on the tarmac and, and, you know, the, the listeners at home, thank you. I'm sure I can't wait to talk to your brother. He's going to be the, the third installment on this triple header here with the, uh, the, the vendor villagers and, uh, yeah, thank you so much. It's been really great talking to you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having all of us on. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. And that, folks, was our second installment. That was Peggy. She was the co-worker of Brian and the brother of our next guest, Colin. So, again, we're going to continue along the line now on our triple header survival story. Okay, so you actually went to Woodstock 94 as well because you were touring with Blues Traveler, as I, as I understand, and they played that. Is that correct? That, that was correct, yeah. They were uh, uh, one of the first uh, major acts to go on uh, at Woodstock 94 on, on Friday nights. And uh, it was a beautiful day. It hadn't started raining yet, and uh, um, it hadn't really devolved into too much uh, chaos. Uh, so it was a great time. Uh, but unfortunately, we got in there um, Friday afternoon, played the show, stuck on for about two hours afterwards, and then had to leave. So we got to miss, um, I mean, we, we missed you know, two full days of the festival, and uh, I was always kind of bummed about that, that we didn't get to stay, but we had two other shows to do that weekend. Right, because so we 94 was a, was a good time. 
it was a really good time. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it started to get commercial, but um, if anybody who, you know, works in, in music business knows, like, you really want to provide a great experience for the fans and, and have them leaving, you know, with, thinking that was one of the best times of their lives. But you also got to make money, you know, and, and unfortunately, the original Woodstock, uh, in 69, like people lost their shirts at that festival when people yeah. were, put, up, put up the money. So even though, you know, Pepsi was involved in 94 and it was, you know, a little more um, uh, money driven, it was still really, you know, it was a, uh, a good time. People were loving it. Uh, um, it was it was more organized. It was still packed and, and impossible to get around, but the production was there. You could hear like it was good sound systems. You know, it was it was it was, it was well run. Um, and, and that one actually wound up um, turning into a free festival as well, just because they couldn't they still couldn't maintain the perimeter. It was such a large fairground that that people were uh, people were jumping over the fences. Right. It becomes um, kind of a Woodstock yeah. tradition to to sneak in, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So, so that wound up being, um, you know, turning into a, a, a free festival. But when we were driving in on our tour bus, um, you know, I'd heard tons of stories from, from my dad and, and and older friends about the original uh, Woodstock. It, it was, you know, we were like, oh my god, we're, we're back at Woodstock, and Wavy Gravy was walking along the roads as we were as we were driving by, and we stopped to pick them up. We're like, hey, Wavy, you want it? You want to ride? And so. He actually rode into the festival with us and, and got to you know talk to one of the, the OG members of, of the Woodstock family. That's crazy. That's crazy. Because yeah, he he ran the hog farm at the at the original Woodstock, which is kind of like the bad trip tent and, and all that. And yeah, he kind of was like an MC. That's that's amazing. And I'm pretty sure he was at 99 as well. But I from what I understand, Wavy Gravy kind of gets around to a lot of big concerts. <laughs> Yes, yes, he does, yeah. He, we definitely seen around a lot of the bigger festivals and, and, and things still, yeah. And, and he was in his, his amazing tie-dyed clown suit and had just such a great energy and everybody recognized him. So it was, it was, uh, you know, it was fun actually going into the festival with, with him as sort of our ambassador. Um, yeah, so I was excited for, um, you know, Woodstock 99. And then, you know, I wasn't able, didn't think I was going to be able to do it because Blue Traveler was playing a show um, in Colorado right before uh, Woodstock was, was supposed to go on. Um, but there was some hope that I would get to go with Popper to the festival, the least Center for Blue Traveler, because he was going to go and play um, Star Spangled Banner on, a, uh, on his harmonica on one of the days. So Jesus. maybe I'll still be, uh, I'll, I'll be able to go and do that. But then he had his heart attack. Show got canceled, and um, I was able to call up uh, my friend who had offered me a job on Woodstock uh, earlier, Heidi Kelso, who was running the um, the vendor coordination uh, on site. Uh, and I called her up and asked her if she still needed help, and she was shorthanded. So I immediately turned around and and uh, jumped in a vehicle and drove across country and and got my ass to to Woodstock '99. Got there about. Uh, three weeks before the uh, doors opened. So you're there be- before it's open. I mean, and, and everything's being built and all that stuff at the time. And I mean, and I asked Brian and, and Peggy about this, but I mean, in your opinion, what, what did everything seem on the up and up? Like, you know, uh, all those, all those weeks and days leading up to the festival gates being open, did everything seem organized? Did it seem like it was being well run or up to the standard as of the other festivals that, that you had worked at or was something off from the start? 
I'd actually say it seemed like, well, number one, it seemed like they were determined to make money this time. Like, right from the get-go, there, there was no, there was not going to be, um, you know, people getting in free and, and, and taking advantage of, uh, of the situation. Like, they were determined to, to make money. And, like, one of the first things I saw as I got a tour of the facilities when I got there was one of the hangars that they had set up for uh, the wall that was being painted. Um, you know, they, they had built that massive, like, 20-foot-high wall around yeah, the, the peace uh, wall. around the perimeter. But, uh, but they, you know, in order to sort of to uh, peace and love it up, they, uh, they had, you know, kids coming in and artists coming in and painting each individual panel. So they had that set up in one of the massive hangars on, uh, on the Air Force Base there. Um, so it was pretty clear from the start that, that security, uh, their plan was to have security be a lot tighter and uh, for this to be um, more corporate-sponsored than certainly than the first one and, and, I, and I think the second one as well. Uh, but it did seem like it was, it was well run. Uh, I knew a lot of people in, in production that I've worked with, with on other shows and festivals over the years, so there were a lot of pros there. Um, Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was Woodstock. So I'm sure they, they brought in a lot of the heavies uh, for, for that. So, I, I mean, what exactly did your did your job entail at, at the time? Because, uh, you know, the, the three of you seem to have, have done different tasks, but under the same umbrella. I'm just wondering what, what, what your role was on the on the team. Well, uh, in the lead up to it, it was um, uh, organizing uh, last minute vendor applications. You were supposed to have had your application into uh, Woodstock months earlier, but of course, with the group that we were dealing with, which is a, a lot of a lot of flaky hippie uh, types, um, you know, we were getting last minute um, uh, applications and, and requests for things. Um, and then it was actually physically setting up the villages that we set up. We had two uh, major uh, vendor villages that we uh, were in charge of. Now, we were in charge of like the, the, the big like corporate uh, vendors that were doing all the all the food service, we were in charge of like the, the, the people that were selling arts and crafts stuff. Independent vendors. Um, yeah, the bong the bong the, guys, the bumper yeah. sticker guys. Yeah, exactly. All, all, all those guys selling tapestries and hacky sacks and, <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, any, you know anything patchouli, anything hippie related. So okay. Ephemera, if you will, yeah. hippie hippie ephemera. Yeah, exactly. And so we had to build these two villages, uh, one um, by the East Stage and one by the West Stage. Uh, they were each about, I could say, a quarter of a mile um, apart from the stage themselves. So we built these you know, massive tents and marked them out, sticked them out, um, so that when the vendors arrived, they would have their, their spaces there all ready to go. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we did for, for three weeks. Amazing. Yeah, I didn't try not to start to that because the catering was terrible up there. All you guys have been saying that, but okay. So, so what exactly? Like, what food items were there that that were being offered in 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 the staff catering? Uh, well, it was stuff like um, like frozen vegetable lasagna that was you know cold, it was like burned on top and 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 ice cold, you know, barely defrosted in the middle. Um, it was like. Like it was, it was like pork loin one day, and then the next day it was like sliced pork sandwiches, and then the third day it was like pork stew, and then the third day it was like 
some really nasty pork stir fry that they that they, they put together. They just the, uh, they just took the lowest bitter caterer and this you know poor caterer had to you know come up with some way of feeding several hundred people three meals a day every day in the middle of Rome, which isn't exactly known for its uh, its facilities. Yeah, for its cuisine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, fuck, man. Yeah, okay, because yeah, that answers the question. Because all you guys have been saying how bad the the food was that that was being offered, um, and I mean, it just goes to show you that all that bad shit that that was happening at Woodstock '99 trickled down even to the people working there in 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 some ways. Um, but so, oh, it, oh go Sorry, yeah, go ahead. That, that, that definitely um that definitely set the mood amongst uh, a lot of the production and uh, early security crew was there because like right before we opened doors i think it was like two or three days beforehand there was a uh, uh a, a near walkout over uh, over the conditions uh, not just the food but uh, the living conditions um i mean we were we were lucky in that we got up there three weeks beforehand so we got one of the nicer houses um uh, that they had set aside because you know most of the production crew lived on the uh, airbase housing um that they had right next to the airbase itself yeah, um, but a lot of those houses hadn't been lived in for years, and there were some that, like the plumbing, didn't work. That there were holes in the floors that were just atrocious. Um, okay, did you really stay? Like, did you stay with like with your sister while you were there? Like, did you guys like? Yeah, we, my, my sister and Brian and I and one other person uh, shared a house. Okay. Um, <laughs> Because, because the way that you and Brian described the housing is dead on, and she seemed like like like, it, like I thought she was staying somewhere completely different. By the way, like she was talking about it, which is really funny, just uh, to, to compare them. But that's what you get here on Podcast Ninety Nine. You get a triple header survivor story, three stories, same experience. All right, please, uh, if you will, Colin, continue. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, super. Some of the you know, the guys who came in you know, a week or so after us, uh, they you know they got stuck in places where they they couldn't even take a shower afterwards. Which you know working in ninety to one hundred degree heat all day, you know, it's the the last thing you want to do is have to sponge bath yourself. Uh, so so there was definitely some some resentment and, and anger building um, leading up to the show itself. But other than that, everybody thought it was awesome. I mean, we really didn't start until that week of the uh, of the event. So, like, the, the fields were still green um, at the airbase. There was still wildlife running through there. You know, it was it was quite bucolic and nice. And and uh, we we were barbecuing every night after you know after finishing up our uh, our uh, our duties for the day because we we gave up on catering after the first week. We're like we're just we're on our own here and went out and bought a grill so it was, it was quite pleasant and uh and um and, and watching the stages and everything go up it's, it's always you know amazing to see you know something that size being built and and put together um so yeah i i you know maybe i was just a little bit naive after being at 94 and being raised by by hippie parents that oh this is you know this is going to be peace love um and enjoy 3.0 yeah know, it, well it seemed like woodstock it, it it seemed like it was it was actually Woodstock, you know, which uh, yeah, exactly. it, it's in retrospect, of course, that that's, you know, kind of a funny thing to, to think about. But I mean, from all the accounts I've heard, yeah, I mean, at the start, I mean, even as the first day went on, like if you were in the crowds, like you really didn't notice anything was going wrong, really, until the second day. But uh, so did 
like the day of the pre-show Thursday before the Friday that it started, what were you doing? I mean, were, were the vendors opening up or were they still closed? Like what, what was going on on that Thursday? Well, uh, vendors started arriving, arriving, I think it was Tuesday night, uh, to get set up, even though they weren't supposed to be in until Wednesday. Of course, people started, you know, trying to get in there and, you know, get, get the choice of spots. Um, and so that was actually our first really big sort of kerfuffle was because um, there was definitely uh, some skirmishes amongst the, the vendors about the spots um, because the overall producer uh, or uh, manager of our section had decided that no one was going to get a corner tent spot. Um, uh, you know, these were these massive, long, rectangular tents that held like, you know, 50 to 60 vendors uh, um, underneath, underneath each tent. And the corner spots were prime real estate, right? You're, you're, right. you're, on, you're on the floor there, you're getting two facings. Um, so uh, we decided to make those uh, camp spots for the, uh, for the vendors. So they could set up their tents there so they could sleep right by their stalls. Um, and, uh, and that way no one would get, feel like they were getting preferential treatment or getting, you know, or getting shafted by getting put in the middle. And immediately, some of the hardcore um, vendors that had, that had been, you know, going around selling stuff on fish shows, uh, going all the way back to the dead shows, they, uh, you know, were like, no, you know, these are prime real estate, we want, we want these, we paid a lot of money, because they didn't have to pay a lot of money to, uh, to, get, to get set up uh, at Woodstock, I think it was like two and a half, two and a half thousand dollars or something like that. For, Jesus for Christ, yeah. you got to sell a lot of bongs to make that back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, people started fighting over that, and we had to defray all of that, and and, and people were cutting the fence fences around the spots that we set aside for for camping spots. Um, and it was just it was like hurting a bunch of cats trying to, to get everybody going in the, in the same same direction. So that's a lot with what we were dealing with the two days and and the Thursday um, at, at the gates or that um, getting set up was just trying to get everybody into a spot that worked. Where they weren't at each other's throats saying, "Oh, he's got a better spot than me," or, or you know, they've got they've got more square footage than me, and that that kind of shit. Right. Well, um, and it's also funny to think about those kinds of people getting ornery with each other. You know, like the hacky sack guy fighting with the uh, tapestry guy. It seems a little out of character <laughs> for those folks, but I can understand. Uh, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and on a, and on a, a personal note, it was uh, it was my birthday on Friday, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to throw a, a party on on, the, on July 23rd on the Friday. So we had like a, a little uh, birthday barbecue and party back at the uh, in the base housing on the, the Wednesday night before before the door, doors open. So again, it was a, definitely a feel good vibe for, for all of us. You know, even though we knew this was more of a you know of a monetary money making venture than you know everyone wanted to idealize Woodstock as, as being this hippie thing, it still felt like we were doing something cool and communal and, and fun and not just trying to gouge people for, for every last cent. Right. Well, yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, when it started, though, so so that Friday, <laughs> your birthday, I mean, you wake up, Woodstock starting, people are coming in. Like what? What's what's your hustle and bustle looking like uh, on that day when things are in are in full swing here? And also, I mean, this is I'm assuming when the grounds were, you know, still relatively clean. But were you seeing, you know, what kind of stuff what was was going on on that first day, and what were you doing? And let, let's just go through Friday. 
Okay, well, Thursday went off really well, and it was perfect because uh, I'd say only about a third of uh, the crowd had showed up, so you could still move around. Um, you could still get up, up really close to, to any stage or musical act you wanted to see. It was it was it was really fun. Um, and then you had the uh, the the rave uh, hangar starting up, which was unlike anything that I'd ever seen before. They certainly didn't have that at Woodstock '94, um, um, and hadn't had I hadn't seen anything of that size in any festivals that I'd worked at. I had seen rave tents, but this was a whole airplane hangar that was set up for for that, which was just bananas, bananas because uh, there wasn't a, a lot of other bands going on. So once that started up, everybody that was in the, in the um, uh, grounds went there. Uh, and that was on, th- so, so Thursday had a rave too. Cause I, I know that, I know that George Clinton played in, in the hangar on that, on that Thursday, but, but was there, was there like DJs after him in there? Yes, there were. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was nuts. Um, it was totally fine. And we, uh, we were particularly excited about it because our production offices were set up uh, right off of that hangar, so we had like a, you know a place to to escape from the from you know the the madness of the rave if we wanted to, but we could also just pop out there for a song or two and dance or just crowd watch and and check it all out. And that yeah, was just, it was a good setup for us. Um, and so we woke up on Friday again. You know things uh, hadn't gotten out of control yet with the garbage. Um, it hadn't you know the the porta potty situation was still stable. And then you know, the floodgates opened, and it started being severe um, uh, lines uh, to get into the place. And uh, and was, I started hearing more and more complaints from people about how security wasn't letting them bring anything in. Like you know, you weren't allowed to bring in um, you know food and, and beverages and um, you know steak tents. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, tent steaks, um, things like that. So. People were kind of getting pissed off, and the, and the heat was really starting to take off on, on that Friday. I remember it being blisteringly hot. Um, and we were just making sure that the uh, the vendors were all set up and ready to go to, to be prepared for the crush of the crowds. And, um, yeah, just keeping our area clean and, and, and safe. Uh, I was uh, mostly stationed at the uh, east. Uh, stage of uh, the East uh, Village for, for the vendors. Okay, um, like the main stage yeah. one. But you yeah, guys, I yeah. mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was the vendor village kind of, uh, I mean, it was definitely apart from the stages. I mean, how far away were you from the uh, from the actual East Stage well, at, at the at the vendor village? I'd say it was about, uh, about a quarter of a mile. So we could, we could hear it. I mean, you know, over the crowd, it just it just sounded like you know noise. Uh, but uh, we, you could hear the, the stage from us. Um, but it was set back far enough so that we weren't in the, the, the crowds or anything. People um, would have to walk from the uh, the back of uh, the east stage to to get to to the village. Okay, and uh, I mean, so on that first day, did you like did you catch any music? I mean, what was your shift time? Like, were you able to catch any stuff? Uh, you know, kind of what what's your downtime looking like if you had any on that first day? Uh, I got to see. Um, well, I, I worked um, mostly during the day that day because I wanted to have the Friday night off um, for my birthday because I, I was like, I'm definitely want to be part of this this rave for. Uh, 
for my birthday and, and, and get, get a little crazy. Yes, um, and we're going to get to that because the rave is and, the most – I've said it a billion times on this show. The rave is the most mysterious part of Woodstock 99 because there's almost no footage of it, and the tales that you hear are just debauched, like tales of insanity. So, yes, I'm very excited to hear about your, your rave time. <laughs> Um, I got to see uh, James Brown, uh, Taylor to James Brown, and uh, G-Love uh, and Special Sauce, and Jameer Kwai, and a little bit of Cheryl Crow that day. Oh, um, you, you got to see a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, we were still fresh. We hadn't, <laughs> we, nobody had lost their mind yet, so uh, yeah, it was, um, I was definitely walking around a lot and, and checking out music when I could. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I worked until early evening and then took off, um, for the day and, uh, just, yeah, just wandered around, saw some music, uh, stopped by the other village, because you gotta remember, that was like almost a mile away from where we were, so, you know, it definitely was a little bit of a trek and the uh, golf carts, uh, access was limited already at that point because it was starting to get too crowded to really drive those around, um. Uh, so I went over to the uh, to the other stage, West Stage, um, checked out a little bit of uh, P-Funk, and then uh, went to the rave uh, that night, and a bunch of people from our production office met up with me because they knew it was my birthday, and uh, and somebody had set up a blender in our office, which, I, again, was, was set up right off the rave hangar. So uh, we were making margaritas and, and going out into the rave, which was... It was like looking into if, if there's nine rings of, of, of hell, like there, this is like the first ring of heaven. It was just <laughs> there was so much love in the room, but but, uh, but definitely a lot of sinners too, you know. So there's a, a lot of naked people and 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 people wasted, like just flying high on 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 ecstasy and and MDMA and, and whatever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. Uh, um, and usually when you do like a, a concert like that in a music hangar, the, the sound is horrific because it's just a big booming hall. It's not designed for music, but I think because there were so many people in there that it just, it sucked up a lot of the, uh, a lot of the reverb and, uh, um, and slapback that you get from, from usually doing shows right. in a structure like that. Yeah, it filled up the space for sure. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was just, it was nuts. Um, you know, uh, they kept the, the hangar doors open because the crowd was so large that it spilled out onto the tarmac uh, outside of the hangar as well. Um, I I can't even hazard to, to, um, to guess it, but how many people were in, there, in, were in there and in the area, but I'd say around 50 to 60,000 people. Jeez, and those went on all night. All night, all night long, because our uh, the the village that we uh, that I was in charge of was set up uh, a short distance, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty yards from the entrance to the rave. So um, there were a couple nights that I had to do the, the graveyard shift from from uh, midnight to eight a.m. and uh, there was no sleeping because you 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 know your face our trailer is facing the open doors of the rave hangar so we just got you know drums and bass all night long jesus christ yeah yeah that that is is brutal so i mean yeah it was your birthday i mean so saturday though because you know again from from what 
what the other uh, two folks on this on this episode were, were telling me Saturday there was definitely a kind of a, a change in the air and, and definitely on the grounds and the way things were looking and and the trash and and all that stuff seemed to have have gone you know gone to shit for lack of a better word uh, on on the second day did you wake up like hungover and then like to just wreckage or not wreckage but you know just trash and stench and, and all that stuff or was it just you know another day back at the grind and everything was fine no let me just back up to waking up i didn't wake up hungover what, what happened was i uh, because it was my birthday the previous night and i was dancing with with some people in in, in the rave and uh and uh this cute little hippie chick came up to me and was like they handed me a hit of ecstasy, and I was like, "It's my birthday. I don't have to be at work, and I didn't have to actually be at the at my, uh, the vendor village until I think like eleven or twelve the next day." I was like, "I'm going to take this and, and see what happens, and and, <laughs> and just go for it." And nothing happened, and I was like, "Whatever, that's fine. I, I probably just took a, a aspirin. I didn't have to give any money for it. Like, I don't know why she's going around giving out fake ecstasy, maybe whatever, you know." And uh, so. <laughs> Danced for a few more hours, got on the shuttle to get back to the uh, to the base housing. Uh, went to sleep for a couple of hours, woke up and was flying my face off. It was like, oh my <laughs> god, oh my god! It's now like it's now. I think it's like eight or nine, about eight thirty in the morning. And uh, and I, you know, I, I woke up to uh, to go to the bathroom, and I looked in the bathroom mirror, and my my pupils were the size of fucking saucers. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be a day. This is going to be a day. Uh, uh, oh, my like, okay, God. <laughs> try and eat some breakfast and drink a lot of water, and hopefully I'll, be, I'll come down by the time I have to be at work in two hours. And I wasn't at all. But I was like, well, I got to go to work. And got on the shuttle and went back to the fairground. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, you could really see that the garbage is piled up. And what we found out later on that day was that uh, was that somebody in production had made a decision that they weren't going to uh, empty the trash cans anymore. They were like, it's too expensive to keep doing it. We'll just let it build up, and then we'll clean it up at the end of the festival. Which Christ. When you think about, you know, there's at least 250,000 people there, and, you know, upwards of 400,000 people. We don't know, really, to this day, how many people are actually there. But you're talking about, you know, the third largest city in New York State at the time, um, and nobody picking up the trash. So they just yeah, that's that's in, insane. I mean, but Woodstock has that history of just being, well, fuck it, it's a free festival now. You know what I mean? It's like they just kind of give up a lot, <laughs> it seems like, at Woodstock. Yeah. Basically, they're like, well, we started this thing, but now it's snowballed beyond our control, so let's just watch it roll down the hill and see what happens. And that's kind of what, what happened. So the first day, that I did, that was fine with the garbage. It didn't really fill up. But after the first day, it was we were ankle deep in it everywhere you went. I mean, I'm sure you've seen all the pictures and footage of it. It, it was like that, and it smelled like that. It was, it was, I had to throw my shoes away at, at, at to be a after we left Woodstock because they just, just stunk from fucking trekking through that for days on end. Oh man, those shoes are like something I would have here in like a curio case. Like I would have those as an artifact. <laughs> yeah, but believe me, I, I, I've got some things I say from that, but the shoes I definitely wouldn't do not want to say, <laughs> but they, they were in bad, bad shape, really bad shape. So, so that morning, yes, it was garbage and, and the heat was relentless. Um, but it, I was, 
are off kilter. So it, everything. At first, I was like, "Is this just me? Am I just really fucked <laughs> up, or is, 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 do things seem like they're sliding towards you know some uh, apocalypse? What's going to happen here today?" Um, because you definitely uh, throughout the day started hearing more grumbling and that uh, that vendors were raising their prices, um, that water water was going up. It started out at four dollars a bottle, but now it was up to like six, and you know in some places eight. And there was no regulation for that at all. It was just total supply and demand um, uh, capitalist rule going on within within the fairgrounds. And 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 Saturday is definitely where I felt like we just. We did lose control of the festival. A lot of security um, that were volunteers just took off their T-shirts, their security T-shirts, and, you know, were walking around the, the, the festival naked, parting their faces off, so there wasn't enough security. Uh, you know, it was, it was definitely right. it was, it was getting towards an- anarchy at, at that point. Right, and, and your sister was telling me that uh, like she was seeing people just falling out from heat exhaustion left and right. And, and then and then that became like a major part of kind of kind of her experience. Were you seeing people having like a hard time? Like, I mean, you mentioned the grumbling and the prices going up, but like physically, were, were people breaking down at all, or was everyone still kind of like in righteous party mode because it was you know it's the the middle day of the festival? Yeah, yeah, it was starting to transition to to like, oh my god, there's still another day and a half of this, and we've only been out here a day and a half. Um, uh, the water supply by us, the free water supply that there had been a line at, um, somebody broke the, the water main um, that led up to it. So it was just, there was no more free water to get out of the faucets. It was just a, a, a mini pond lake that was flowing into the porta potty area, porta potty areas. So it was just a mixture of piss and water and shit over there. And I don't know if you remember from Woodstock 94, but it, Woodstock 94 was sort of became famous for the mud people. Oh, absolutely. So, so, you know, and they was like, hey, oh, you're one of the mud people. Oh, you're, you're cute. And so people were like, oh, it's Woodstock 99. Let's become mud people. But they were not sliding in mud. It was not mud. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's shit people. waste and shit that, that people were, were slogging around in. Oh, Christ. And yeah, I mean, the stench of that. And I mean, we, we have, uh, I mean, I, I've seen footage basically of, of what we call the mud Nazis. That's what we've always called them, the, the, the people in mud, because they were forcing themselves onto, onto other people in so much of this footage. And you could see like groups of people fleeing when all the mud people start running into a crowd because, yeah, it's not mud. And I think the only people that didn't know that were the people covered in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's definitely lots of naked people um, walking around. Uh, I think uh, I saw like this naked person uh, early Thursday night. Uh, a guy just you know full on naked walking around, every, and everyone kind of staring at him. And and as he's walking through the crowd, going, "This will be me, you. This will be you by tomorrow. You'll all be naked by tomorrow." <laughs> and uh, he was he was only about ten percent right, but there were a lot of like naked people, and our village was getting a little out of control because we had this this um, sort of fight going on between the the older school hippie the types um, and this uh, uh, company uh, group of guys that had set up a temporary tattoo uh, no no it wasn't temporary tattoo it was a, a body painting um, uh, shop and they didn't we didn't even have to set up uh, a, a stall for them because they just rolled up 
with, with a trailer and opened up the side of it and had like these kind of like tattoo chairs, but we set up for body body painting. And uh, um, they hired a bunch of strippers uh, and they, you know, got them to go topless and, you know, pinned up their, their boobs and their chest. And then they, they would do uh, these, these body painting slash strip shows on top of their trailer every couple of hours to, um, <laughs> to draw people in. And then, and, and I, as soon as it is, it's such a smart capitalist move. They brought in cases and cases of, of, of disposable cameras, um, and sold them for like 20 bucks a pop. Because you remember, this is right as cell phones are starting. I just got a cell phone, like, Three months prior, my right. first cell phone ever. So people didn't. Most people didn't have cell phones to take pictures. So you had all of these, you know, horny, you know, uh, teenagers and twenty-something-year-old guys. They're like, oh, we gotta get pictures of this. You're dropping twenty dollars on a two-dollar um, throwaway camera, uh, and uh, you know, they click pics. So these guys were just making money hand over fist, not just on the body painting, but uh, but on the on these cases and cases of, of disposable cameras. That, that is some but, seriously only at Woodstock '99 type shit. Yeah, and, and, but that really pissed off like the the, the you know the, the hard the hardcore lifer vendors, the guys that have been selling you know kind burritos on on dead tour for twenty years and had transitioned to you know selling t-shirts or, or headbands or whatever, um, you know, who did this for a living and thought this was, you know, going to be their lifestyle. And so they saw this, this guy just coming in, exploiting women and, and, um, and sullying their, their fine profession. So, <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. We, yeah. Sorry. Good. Oh no, it, 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 it's just amazing. Cause I mean, we've seen photos and video of, of, of the body paint, station but like the 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 camera thing and then also just knowing this this power struggle between the vendors i mean this just adds a whole nother layer to the uh the woodstock 99 ethos that that we're trying to create here i'm i'm, I'm just loving it but like, did you i mean were you able to catch any of the music on saturday or were you kind of wiped after your shift because you know all things considered uh yeah um I was friends with a, with a couple of bands that played, so I actually went to go say hello. I, I knew the Tragically Hit guys because I'd been on tour with them in Europe, in Europe uh, a few years prior, and I knew the Dave Matthews band from just, you know, um, working in the jam band, singing with Blues Traveler. Uh, so I went to go see a little bit of uh, bits of their sets. Um, but, uh, and a I saw a little bit of Rage Against the Machine. Uh, but no, I actually didn't see that much music because I was kind of twisted that day, and uh, and fatigue was definitely starting to, to set in. Right. Uh, and, and also, there was also a lot more to deal with at the uh, at the vendor villages, like between um, just the crush of people and trying to make sure our, our vendors were safe, and also the the discontent that was happening between some of the vendors. Like I, it was, you know, complaints every hour whenever the the, uh, the body painting guys would do their strip shows. You know, <laughs> you got to stop them, like because you know these people are trying to sell their stuff, and then all of a sudden there's a giant fucking strip show going on right in front of their tent, right? You know, where, where there's a huge crowd of like two to three thousand people just all of a sudden formed, so they couldn't. It wasn't just that they were disgusted by the fact that there was a strip show going on, but this it was literally like blocking the people's access to 
to their to their cats. So. What was kind of like the energy in the air between like the dudes? Like, I mean, it, to me, just from things that I've I've read and and seen, you know, f- footage of at, at Woodstock, it seems like like that'd be like just like a savage crowd. You know what I mean? Like just like a real kind of like beastly vibe. Uh, were were you seeing any of that kind of that negative dude shit going down uh, on on the grounds there at all? Definitely, that's where I really started to see the difference between 99 and 94. And 94, uh, you know, was massive and, and uh, definitely not as, as, as hippie as, as 69 probably, but, but it, it, you didn't see, like, whenever a girl would go up to, to body surf, you just, you didn't see, like, you know, people trying to grope her finger banger as, as she's going by in, in 94. In 99, you started seeing that. Like, any girl who who, you know, had the, the gall to get up and cra- crowd surf or get on someone's shoulders, it was, it was immediately harassed. Um, oh, yeah, it's and, terrible. Yeah, and there was definitely a lot more of, like, you know, people screaming tits, like, at, at random girls walking by bikini tops. You know, show us your tits, you know, skin you in, skin you in. Like, it was just those awful bro uh, type of chants. There was, was, was a lot more of that, for sure. Uh and by by Saturday, you're seeing more of that as as uh, the fairgrounds filled up. Okay, that yeah, that I mean that that's like what the, obviously the the heaviest aspect of, of Woodstock '99. But uh, just to lighten it up a bit, did you did you return to the rave? Cause or did you just go that one that one night? Oh no, I went back the, the second night. Okay, because sure. yeah, because I heard that you were wearing a boa with large sunglasses and uh, having a having a jolly time. But I don't know what day that was. <laughs> uh, I think I was I was Friday and Saturday night. There was no, <laughs> yeah, nothing happened from that, but it was Friday and Saturday. The boa, I believe, was Friday night. Yeah, it was a big blue boa that I'm not. I don't really remember where it came from. I think I might have gotten it as a birthday present, a joke birthday present. I was like, you know what? I'm going to rock this thing. I'm wearing it. <laughs> yeah, fuck <laughs> it. It's funny. I, I forgot about that. But yeah, that was a big hit at the race. People liked it. But you know what's funny is, like, of course, everyone wanted to wear it, but they put it on for like two seconds and then realized how fucking hot the thing was. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Because it was, you know, it was 100 degrees outside, but it felt like 2,000 degrees inside in in the rave, even even with the doors open. Oi. So, I mean, the the second day, I mean, if if you can, you know, recall, like, was the rave even a little gnarlier? Like, like, was everything kind of ramping up, or did that stay kind of at the the same, like, jolly good time level the the entire time? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, Saturday is is a different thing than, than Friday, you know, from, from all the accounts that, that I've heard. And of course we have Sunday, but did that trickle into the rave or was the rave just like always a good time? You no, know, it, it, it didn't ever feel really violent in there, but it, people were definitely, it, it felt like people were just more tired and dirtier. Uh, and like the pools of urine, like no joke were building up outside of the uh of the of the rave hangar because there was a huge bank of your of uh porta potties there that hadn't been emptied i i'm not totally sure about this but i think they were, they were kind of under the same uh edict as picking up the garbage they're like we're not emptying them until the end of the until the end of the festival because it's just going to be too expensive to get trucks in there to get, to get people in there uh, amongst the crowds to get it all out so like these it just stuck of ammonia, like just 
just that awful urine smell that times a thousand because it was literally like these little ponds of, of urine that were, were popped up, popped up, and the grounds were covered in garbage. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say that it was like angry, uh, angrier inside the lady, but it definitely felt a little more subdued. And maybe that was, um, yeah, well, that's not true because Fat Boy Slim was pretty crazy in there too. I think people were still hanging on to the idea that everything was going to be okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, you just had to keep telling yourself that. Uh, so yeah. it's Sunday now. This is the, this is the final day. Things are going to come to a head. Uh, what's kind of the, what's the air like there? And, and, and what are you up to during, during Sunday now? Uh, well, I had the day clear, so I actually uh, went and checked out uh, Everlast and Elvis Costello over on the East stage. And I, I tell you, like, it started to feel like angst was, was um, actually being exhibited by the acts. Like, I remember Elvis Costello kind of being pissed on stage. It was, it, it, it was in particular, like, one cameraman that was, like, in his face during his entire performance. And he basically stiff-armed him at one point, right in the middle of the song. Um, yeah, uh, actually, if you if you go back and watch the uh, if you watch the set because they're all on YouTube, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's crazy that you saw yeah, that. Like, when, when is this fucking cameraman gonna get out of my face? And, uh, and of course, crowd loved it, but you could see he was he was kind of annoyed. And um, and going backstage, um, uh, then uh, to go, I meant to go back to to see a couple of uh, production buddies uh, to get out of the crowd. And, and people were just exhausted. Uh, the front of house mixed position on the East stage, um, somebody had built a sign that said the Alamo on it. Right. Because they were. They, they were basically out there. They, it was the Alamo for them. They were in, in a sea of fucking humanity nonstop from the moment the music started until it you know, stopped at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, and people were just tired between the heat and, you know, and just working nonstop. Um, so yeah, people, people were bad. Did you know anyone that worked in the Alamo? Uh, did I know anyone who worked in the Alamo? I knew the stage manager of the East Stage. Uh, and so he was back and forth from the Alamo uh, to, to the stage a lot. Holy I mean, I shit. Didn't know, yeah. That's just fucking crazy. I mean, the out like you know, there's all these like things that that we've uh, you know made into you know the things of legend in, in our heads about Woodstock '99, and yeah, the Alamo is definitely one of them. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm loving this. It, it's great. Yeah. So, so so during the day, it definitely felt like you know things are gonna get ugly. But there was also this wild rumor that was going around all Sunday that there was gonna be some sort of mega act that was happening Sunday at night. The, you know, it was, the Rolling Stones are going to come in. Uh, Prince is going to come in, and he's going to do um, he's going to do uh, some Jimi Hendrix tribute at the end of this. Uh, the Grateful Dead are getting back together. Like, you know, there's all these crazy moments of some mega thing that tied it tied this Woodstock back into the uh, the original Woodstock. It's you know, was going to happen at, at the end of the day. So there was there was a lot of excitement about that that I don't think people talk about enough when they talk about like what really set the crowd off but when it got tied to it and already you know there were fires burning and, and things already going out of control at this point but when it got tied to it at the, at the end of sunday um 
there was nothing. There was there was the video tribute to, to Jimmy up on the big screens because you know there were, there were big video screens on either side of the stage, and so they showed Jimmy Hendrix's performance on the video screen uh, uh, at, at the E stage. And so wall fires are going and, and sirens yeah, are going yeah. off. Yeah, and then this this huge letdown of like, wow, we're watching this performance that we could that we could watch at home on, on the VCR or on the computer. Like, you know, what, 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 all, all of this big build up. So, um, uh, yeah, people were, were definitely getting tired and pissed off about the fact that prices were going up. Like I said, bottles of water that started at four o'clock, four bucks on uh, on Thursday or Friday. By by Sunday, we're going for like eight bucks. You know, I, I had somebody tell me they paid ten dollars for for a bottle of water. So, uh, it's so insane. Know, people, yeah, people people were were done at that point. You know, I, I think they felt like they they've been getting built out of the money uh, weekend long, and even though in the context of now that people pay for for a festival, um, it it would it, it stop wasn't that expensive at the time it seemed like a ridiculous amount of money for, for a four-day festival so uh, yeah people are feeling ripped off and scams and uh and you could sense that in the crowd uh, right a lot more there was a lot more debris getting thrown around and um and then uh, you know as the fires started uh i i actually had to be um on call at the uh, at, at the vendor village um so we actually saw the first fire go up and they're well that's not good. <laughs> Hopefully that's just right. an incident. And, and then, the, you know, and then the one tower went up in, in, in full flames, and we're like, oh, my God. And that's when we started shutting down the, the vendor village. Uh, we, we just went around to all the vendors, and each um, uh, individual stall underneath the main tent had a set of curtains that they could pull down, like a, like a, a flap, a tent flap that they could pull down in front of their stall. So we're like, okay, you guys, you know, pull down all of your, your flaps, um, like, well, can't we just leave it? Like, no, you, you know, you can't leave now. And people couldn't leave at that point anyway because um, concert goers were already starting to leave and there was a mass jam up at all the exits. Oh, so I... if they wanted to leave or were allowed to leave, they, they couldn't even, couldn't even, even leave. And, uh, and then the, the non-event happened with, with the Jimi Hendrix stuff and all, all of these people that were all riled up and ready for some like last big send-off at the East stage that didn't have that. And uh, then that's when they turned their attention inwards and started marching down the tarmac from the East stage towards our vendor village was the first thing they came to. So we just heard this low rumbling and this mass of people um, appearing out of the shadows because you remember the backlit by the, uh, by the by the massive stage. So the lights are shining behind them. Jeez, all it looked like was just this rolling cloud of people rolling down the tarmac and they were all chanting uh, Rage Against the Machine of fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Oh my god. And it was like, you know, sixty, seventy thousand kids rolling down the tarmac towards us and and our vendors started to fucking panic because, you know, they've been selling products all weekend long. So some of them had, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars in cash. Right? Because, you know, this is, again, for, uh, you know, cell phones and the internet is so ubiquitous, so nobody had credit card readers, so it was all cash for these people. And they're like, we're about to get looted. There were some families there that, that uh, you know, that decided, hey, we'll go up and sell stuff at, at Woodstock and bring the kids and it'll be fun. And so, like, some families were, like, trying to give us their kids. It felt like the fall of Saigon, you know? Like, here, no, you're going on the last helicopter out. Here's my kid. Can you take my kid with you? Jesus. And like, well... 
Number one, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here with you. And then number two, no, I'm not even joking, kid. We're in this together. Like, you know, everybody just remain calm. And uh, so we had about, you know, 10 minutes before they got to us. And there's like, everybody, keep your shops closed. You know, um, just everybody stay inside. And we'll, we'll you know, they'll, they'll probably just head right by us to the, uh, to the campgrounds. Uh, and... That's what started to happen. Like they just started to, because we were set up in kind of like a triangle shape with two, with two massive tents uh, uh, on, on two sides of the triangle that had all the vendors in it. And then the third side of the triangle was our production trailer that we had set up, which we had all of our, our gear in and medical stuff and, and uh, radios and, and like a, it's a place to get out of the heat for us. Um, yeah. And so they flowed by the side of the triangle where our production trailer was, and seemed like uh, uh, they were just going to go right by us. Um, but in the middle of the triangle, we had a bank of like eight or ten ATM machines set up, and it was like a record scratch. Like all of a sudden, like somebody was like, "Hey, those ATMs!" and like the whole crowd stopped. And then the whole crowd went from chanting, "You know, wait to get some machine to ATM, ATM," and just flowed into the middle of our of our vendor village and started tearing the ATMs to pieces. Oh my not god. Not realizing that, that the ATMs had been going since Thursday and they were dead empty. There wasn't a single dollar in any of the ATM machines. They'd been totally emptied out. Um, uh, and also that they were trying to, you know, break into these things with uh, with pieces of wood. You know, and they're and they're ATM machines. They, I don't know if you've seen the inside of an ATM machine, but it's basically a station there. Yeah, no, they're uh, made to they, not be broken into. Yeah, but they tore off all the plastic aside, all the, you know, I mean, they, you know, people were determined to, uh, to get into, into it. Um, and then we had the, uh, uh, the guy that, uh, Brian and I were both out there, um, and then we had another gentleman who was the production manager for Neil Young at the time, um, Kim, um, and he's he's an old rock and roll roadie guy with a big handlebar mustache and you know just looked like an old school like Harley rock and roll guy looked like he looked oh yes yeah, so we we, we we we've heard tales of this man yeah so he yeah, so he was he and, and Brian and I were there just trying to you know keep everybody away from the trailer and away from the vendor tents and uh, for some reason. Uh, or somehow we were able to, to do that. Like nobody in the crowd thought, you know, well, hey, maybe it'd be easier to go steal from the people who have $60,000 in cash behind their, their little wooden table rather than trying to break into these empty ATM machines. Um, we, we just managed to herd people away from, from the vendor tents and not one of our people in, in our village got looted or, or, or robbed at all. And, you know, at one point, uh, um, there, some, some of the kids went over to try and tip our, ta- our trailer and Tim just stepped up, and you know, they were like, we're going to take the trailer, and he's like, I don't think I want you to do that, and they just took one look at him, and they're like, all right. <laughs> 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 it, it, makes me, it makes me wonder, like, if there had just been a little more of a security presence there at all, if, you know, all of this wouldn't have, have happened. Like, right. Were you seeing any security at this time? Was there any security going on at this time? Like, were, were you seeing any like the peace patrol guys trying to stop people, or has that just completely no, stopped? No, not a single one. I saw a few people that were originally in the peace patrol that were in the crowd, fucking going bananas. But, uh, <laughs> but no, no, 
no no security at all. Whatever security that stuck it around until the very end, uh, uh, until Sunday, they split once that started to happen. I think, you know, they rightfully feared for their lives. And um, I think Brian actually had some footage of people backstage hammering um, two-by-fours over the uh, door uh, that led backstage um, through the uh, through the rave hangar. So they were barricading themselves in, um, which meant that those of us who were out on the fairgrounds, like, that was it. Like, there was no... It was no going backstage to to escape any of this. Not that we were going to abandon our, our, our vendors at all. Right, but um, if shit really hit the but, fan and you had to, you wouldn't yeah, be able to. Like, we were out there. Like, there was no, uh, you know, there was no place to escape, so. Jesus right. Christ. So, I mean, your area is, is, is safe, though. I mean, what about, like, like I, so I'm guessing, and you said you were at the East Vendor Village, so was the West Vendor Village, like, hit really hard, or? Yeah, the West Vendor Village was, was there, um, their production trailer was flipped over and burned. Like, it, it, got, it got attacked. Uh, unfortunately, we had a fellow working over there who, as soon as he saw the crowds, and he had a, we had a lot more running than we did, but, on the far stage, so you know the, the crowd had a, about a mile to get to him. Um, but he panicked and jumped in a golf cart and just abandoned the, the the trailer. So there was nobody there to stand there and be like, "Hey, like, <laughs> you know, don't do this." <laughs> right? They didn't have a they didn't have a big old classic roadie. Oh yeah, uh, anything. So uh, yeah, they came up, they took the trailer, and they yeah, they they, they destroyed it. Uh, but again, um, uh, none of the vendors uh, got, got attacked. The only vendors I, I believe that were attacked or um, looted were the uh, food vendors, which was, uh, I can't remember the name of the corporation that was that, uh, that got the food. Contract. Ogden. What's that? It was Ogden. Ogden. Yeah, their trailers, their tractor trailers, uh, some of them got burnt and uh, broken into and, and whatever was left uh, and stuff was hauled off of. Jesus. Um, so, I mean, how does it all end then? I mean, I know, like, the National Guard came. Like, where does your night end? Or, or, or did you stay up all night with, with, with everyone? So we, stayed up, we stayed up all night. Not long after the crowd had passed by us, the, the, the mob. I guess, um, passed by us and started heading down to towards the West Stage. Um, not long after that was when the state stadies showed up and they exited, uh, or they entered the fairgrounds through the uh, rave hangar, the, the, the rave slash emerging artist, artist hangar. Um, so it was wild because they put on this whole display that was obviously, you know, they're trained to intimidate before actually doing whatever it is that they need to do. They they set up like two lines um uh of police officers facing each other. Um so like the first two came out, they set they faced each other and the next two came out through those two and set up so that there was a corridor of police um police state troopers in um full ride here facing each other. And, and as they lined up, they, would just, they started beating their batons against their shields. So it was like a Roman legion, like, setting up. <laughs> yeah, Christ. Crazy to watch. Crazy. Especially because, uh, you know, as they said, like, security was so lax that weekend, so we didn't really see much security at all. And we go from no security to looking like, wow, the legions are here. And... <laughs> 
this shit is really going to go down now. It was, it was quite shocking. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, I, I, I can imagine. So, like, were, were you escorted? When did they kind of boot everyone off the grounds, or, or how, how did that work? Like, once all the the concert goers are, are, are out of there, uh, like, what happens with, with you guys? Well, I'm sure uh, Brian told me, like, he tried to get backstage because he actually did try and take uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the smallest kids that we had in our uh, in our vendor villages. Um, uh, he did try and take her backstage, and they wouldn't let him. They were like, nope, we don't care who you are, nobody gets through here. So we were stuck, you know, back, back um, uh, out in front of the house uh, once all of this was going on. And uh, no, uh, we myself and, and Tim stayed out uh, in the uh, in the village to look after the uh, look after the vendors. And at that point, uh, the mob had moved past us and was moving down to the red stage. And so the cops basically followed the mob. They they, they lined up, um, you know, locked their shields together, and just basically herded the mob into the uh, the campgrounds, which is where I heard some of the worst shit went down because. Um, you know, everybody's still wild up and, and no place to, to go. Um, all right, they were, yeah. They were all herded into this campground, and that's where, you know, some of the worst assaults happened. Like, what kind of stuff did you did you hear, if you can remember, like, any specific stories? Because, I mean, honestly, I never even thought of that. Like, I always just kind of thought that it was like, okay, everyone's off the grounds, it's over. But, yeah, no, oh, my God, I, I can only imagine what was going on in the campgrounds. Yeah, no, no, I mean, it's... it's there were a lot of people that would have stayed there until, until Monday morning. Um, uh, I didn't go anywhere near that, that at all. Like we were, were, that was all cordoned off with, uh, with police and police vehicles. Um, they, you know, they, once they got everybody into the camp, they were like, that's it, you guys, that's where you are for the night. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I heard lots of rumors of things, but nothing ever uh, confirmed. Uh, I did hear that there was a girl that was, you know, dragged into a porta potty and and was gang raped um, in the uh, in the in the village. God, um, Jesus Christ, it's fucking <laughs> so terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so we stayed out there all night, and then um, my sister and Brian and I um, found the one remaining golf cart that we had left that hadn't been stolen or or trashed, and took a tour the next morning and it was really foggy because the temperature was starting to change of course it started to cool down when the festival was over uh, but also from all the smoke from the fires um so it was very eerie uh it definitely felt like a post-apocalyptic um setting because there's just garbage everywhere and clothing, like people's clothing or people's shed had been torn off all over the place and burnt out tractor trailers, um, our destroyed um, trailer in the other, at the other vendor village. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was shocking to see all of the grass. This is the first time that we'd seen the fairgrounds without any people in it since the previous, you know, Thursday or Wednesday night. Right, right. All the grass and everything. Everything that we've been working on for weeks beforehand that had been green was now yellow or, or just gone. Like every everything is dead. And every living thing <laughs> in there looked dead. Like, you know, the, the, the two or three remaining trees, you know, <laughs> look like they were hanging on by a thread. Um, you know, most of the trees have been chopped down already anyway, um, to to make the fairgrounds. Jeez, uh, I mean it was just wreckage. It was it was total yeah. ap- apocalyptic fucking Woodstock 
God damn. It was, it was, it was so, uh, you know, we stayed up there for about a, um, a week afterwards, just doing cleanup uh, uh, and, um, and paperwork and, uh, and stuff. And uh, a friend of mine that had come up from uh, New York City uh, to stay uh, for the uh, to stay in my, in my house for the weekend um, and to go to the, to the show, I'd been lucky enough to leave early Sunday because he was like, I, he was exhausted. He was like, I can't take another day of this. And, as much as I, you know, I'd love to see the chili peppers, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. So he went back to the city, watched all of this stuff on the news as it was going on, and then um, uh, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours who was the producer for uh, the Gerardo Rivera show um, was like, hey, Colin was, uh, you know, was working up in Woodstock, can we get him on the show? So I got a call on Monday, uh, you know, to, to get interviewed for Gerardo Rivera. <laughs> which is hilarious because uh, Geraldo Rivera is a bit of a joke I don't know uh, how much you know about like where Geraldo Rivera came from but he used to be a Long Island reporter uh, I grew up on Long Island so it, 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 he was just like this local Long Island reporter named Jerry Rivers that would do like these sloppy fluff pieces on the local local news before he changed his name to Geraldo Rivera and, uh, and became you know what he is now right uh, yeah <laughs> So I got this. I got this call to be to be uh, interviewed by Geraldo Rivera, and we're all laughing about it all day. And I was like, "Oh yeah, it's Jerry Rivers. Like I'm, I'm going to be on the Geraldo show." So I called up my my, my dad uh, to ask me if he could tape it um, because we had no TV or satellite access at all up there. It was nothing. Um, and it, uh, I mean, I actually had to do the call on a uh, landline because the cell phone service was so fucking terrible up there. So ah, I yeah. on, on, on the phone and, and uh, you know, the producers got me on hold while uh, while the segment is going on and I'm listening to the segment and, and you know, and, and Geraldo gets to my, uh, gets to, to my business, you know, we have Colin Spear on the line here who's actually working at Woodstock and, and, you know, a lot of people are blaming uh, the candles for, for the riots and all the fires and, you know, what's your take on it, Colin? And, and without even thinking about it, I was like, well, you know, Jerry, <laughs> I, uh, I, don't think, I don't think the candles are, are and I didn't even realize that I'd done it, but on the, uh, on the other end of the phone, I could just hear him mumbling something, but again, I don't have a TV, I'm just hearing it, I'm not watching it, because this was live, this was a live TV, and uh, and, he, and he's like, and all of a sudden he goes, well, maybe I should call you Collie, is that your name, Collie? And, uh, <laughs> and so I did a very long thing about, you know, about why I thought. You know, the, 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 the riots that happened with people, you know, being hot and tired and feeling like they've been ripped off and price gouged. And he wasn't listening the whole time. And then he just cut off, cut off and then hung up on me. And uh, <laughs> five minutes later, I got, a, I got a call from an irate producer. Like, How dare I call her all the Jerry on, on live TV? And who did I think that was? And, and it just <laughs> ridiculous to me after, you know, the mayhem that we've just gone through that all the were freaking out that they called him Jerry. Yeah, no, you had a full week there, bud. <laughs> you covered a lot of ground. Yeah, so we, we stayed up there for, for another week, and, uh, and and oddly enough, immediately after my interview, we all got a memo from uh, from other management saying that we weren't allowed to do um, we were not allowed to do media interviews about Woodstock, and. Um, uh, and you got a big fat bonus check. <laughs> you agree? Wow. <laughs> we for, 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 uh, keep, uh, keep our mouths shut. 
Wow, that no, see, I've never heard that. So they actually told you guys to not. I mean, did they know that you already had, or was that something that was like, was that decision made after you had already uh, gone on on Jerry's show? Yeah, we didn't get the notice until after I'd gone on the show, and I don't know if it had anything to do with it. Um, If it was just a coincidence, and we were just, you know, getting damage control uh, out there, um, or if it was in response to anything I I said on the show. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they told us not to talk about it. And, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot, on Sunday night, after uh, the cops had herded the mob past our our vendor village, uh, Michael Lang actually came out. And uh, took a little tour around the um, um, around the grounds to, to look at things, which to me was you know was was huge. Like uh, uh, part of the reason why I got into the music business was because of people like Bill Graham and and and, and Michael Graham and um, I mean Michael Lang. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was the he's the mother of, of Woodstock. He he's the uh, he's the founder, the Zeus. That's right, and then you can see actually Bill in uh, Bill Graham in the um, in the original Woodstock '99, uh, I mean '69 uh, video, where he's like, where they're asking his opinion about what they should do, and he's like, you should build, you should do some pits and put fire in it to keep people out. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know, you know, we know much about uh, Bill, but he's the guy, you know, who kind of started whole live music uh, rock music show you know he was responsible for the dead shows and, and Jefferson Airplane back in the 60s in San Francisco and um, yeah so he was an amazing legendary uh, promoter and you know his thing was always you know yes make money but you've got to take care of the fans um, and it was just interesting to see Michael after the uh, after the festival walking around um, and he did not look happy. Obviously, he was looked really shocked. But um, oh, I'm sure. I mean, what 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 did you think about his response? Because I mean, he always like, kind of publicly seemed to kind of write it off as you know things went bad, but it wasn't it wasn't so bad. And you know there was you know I mean, did you think that there was kind of like a underwhelming response from from Lang or, or Cher or or I mean, do you think he's just shell shocked by the whole thing? I think that. Uh, that uh, Michael Lang definitely uh, was kind of shell shocked by it. I think it, you know he let. I, I, what I read from walking around with him was that he felt like he let too much control of the festival go. You know, there was bits and pieces of it that that harkened back to the original idea of Woodstock. Like, I mean, the first day, a couple of days, there was there was uh, Tibetan monks and the Dalai Lama walking around. So, you know, there's just these amazing little bits of pieces. I mean, Brady Brady was there. Um, you know, the, the all the panels being painted. Uh, right. It was just you know it had little bits and pieces of the original Woodstock spirit and, and idea, but it just was taken and twisted into something so dark and, and terrible. You could just see that 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 he was sad and uh, and you know bombed with that he let that control uh, of it of it go. Yeah. Uh, I think um, John John Shear was it? Um, yeah, was yeah, it he was the other yeah. uh, the co promoter, yeah. He was the one that would come out yeah, on stage and tell everyone to calm down and shit. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, I don't think he he really gave a shit. Like I think he you know, he made his money and 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 that was enough. 
you know, like it was unfortunate that of course it went out, it got out of control, but it, it seemed to me he was more, um, just more about the bottom line. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. We always refer to him as kind of the evil mayor of Woodstock '99, or uh, you know, whereas Michael Lang would be the too soft, uh, you know, you know, mom, the the kind of docile mother. He's kind of the the over overbearing, not giving a fuck father <laughs> of Woodstock '99. Uh, they they had this interesting dynamic working with each other. Where yeah, you had you know the founder of Woodstock with you know this guy who at at that moment in time was so money driven, uh, or at least that that's what it seemed like from from what happened at Woodstock 99. But, uh, I mean, do you think it's, it's important? What does Woodstock 99 all mean? We're going to, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring it back, bring it back around now. What does it all mean? Is it important? Is it worth talking about? What can we learn from it? Well, I, I think, you know, every once in a while you need to be just reminded of, of the basic, uh, tenets of, of putting together an event like that. Is that, um, it is important to, to talk about so that it doesn't, hopefully, you know, it's another 30 years before something like that happens again. And, and that you have to make sure that, um, that yes, everybody is having a good time, but that everybody's safe. You know, uh, right. you can't just, you can't just hope that, um, that people are going to behave because, you know, over and over again, you see that's not what happens when you get large amounts of people, and drugs and alcohol um, all in the in the same space together. Like you know, you yeah. gotta you gotta make sure you got your your shit together. It's not you know I've I've done thousands, literally thousands of shows, music shows, uh, in my career, and hundreds and hundreds of, of festivals. And I you know more than once I've gone I've done a festival with somebody who who's had a little bit of extra money. It's like, oh, let's put let's put together a festival. I've been to tons of shows and it'll be fine. I've got some money and I can put up you know hire some music and I'll hire some of my friends to be security and it'll be great. And you know so much more has to go into it than that. You can't just you can't just wing it. Right. A party. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. You are the uh, the the final of the three of the Survivor stories. This this episode's been been great, uh, bringing it all around full circle with you. Thank you so much for for coming on, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. All right, great. Well, thanks for having me. Of course, man. Talk to you later. That was Colin. That concludes our triple header Survivor stories here on Podcast Ninety Nine. I apologize for any. Uh, static or low quality in, in, in the phone audio there. It's, uh, you know, it's tough. Everyone having to be quarantined. I can't have anyone in the, in the studio, but that's okay. And it, just remember if you went to worked at or played Woodstock 99, please contact us at podcast 99 official at gmail.com or on Instagram at podcast 99 for exclusive podcast 99 and culture dumps content you can subscribe to our patreon at patreon.com slash culture dumps thank you and we will see you at woodstock